The Ron and Fez Show starts right now. Can't see nothing in front of me. Can't see nothing coming up behind. Make my way through this darkness. I can't feel nothing but this chain that binds me. Lost track of how far I've gone.
It's the Ron and Fez Show. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Open the show with the rise in by Mr. Bruce Springsteen. It's 9-11-12. 11 years out of 9-11. And we have a spectacular 9-11 sky out there today. Yeah. 9-11 day. For anybody that was Weather. in... Uh, New York, it feels exactly the same. It's a really nice day out this morning. As it did. Fez, did that get to you a little bit? Or yeah, I was like looking up at the sky yeah. and feeling the 63 degrees, that cool breeze that we had that original September 11th. Yeah, I was thinking of that walking in. Not to, cor- uh, to correct you, but that wasn't the original 9-11. We had been doing 9-11 for a lot of years. But that was the first year that we started to pay attention. It's the first one I remember. So uh, I get it here. It was just like a couple minutes left today. And I'm the only person that, that clips on my uh, pass like I work in a factory. But it was inside my shirt today like this. So I thought, oh, shit, I lost my pass on the way in. And I was calling Chris to tell him quick, put me in the system. But why... While I was doing it, I figured out the pass, and I had the phone still in my hand, and I hear Chris go like this, Ron. Ron! Ron! <laughs> and he just He's there? starts yelling my name as if the 9-11's happened. <laughs> Where what are you? I've never heard you panic for what weirdness. I do that every night in my bed. Oh, God. Oh, that's funny. It turned it into a game thing. No. <laughs> Why did you uh, have a weird weird panic moment? Oh, because I, I didn't know if I like had to put you in the system or like I had to, maybe it was <laughs> traffic or something. But I word to you. <laughs> I never said a uh, single word to you. Uh, that made it worse. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Uh, here's uh, Tony in Brooklyn. You're on the Run of Fez show. Roddy, 11 years ago today, it was probably the worst day of my life. Definitely the defining moment of my life other than the birth of my kid. But I'll tell you something. A few weeks later, we did the America Forever bar crawl, and I still got my Osama Bin Laden wanted Dead or Alive t-shirt. What a great night that was, man. Uh, Tony's talking about in the uh, days after 9-11, a lot of the bars downtown uh, did not have any people in them because people weren't going downtown so we used to put together bar crawls with our listeners and go in and have a couple drinks at every single bar and they just got bigger and bigger and then the really cool thing is that ended up becoming like all of our best friends the people who attended that bar crawl uh those people and of course the people that we met uh at that time so it's one of those really strange things where uh you know, worst of times, best of times, because it kind of brought a lot of people together. And I heard from a lot of people this year, some of them living all over uh, the place. Chris the Cop, who um, worked down there for so many, uh, I saw that he sent uh, a little note, but he worked down at that uh, murder site for so long, helping out. And, uh, of course, I always think of Gorilla Bob this time of year, who also put in the same kind of stuff. Still, 11 years later, they're trying to get money for those responders who ended up getting cancer from the air that they had to work in. and Respiratory diseases, left and right. Yeah. Uh, But it really is a kind of different world where now when I walk around the city... 
it's amazing like how many times I'll see kids don't think you have no idea what that was like something that is so major in your life okay. like I'm sure Pearl Harbor was to a generation where you know 11 years after Pearl Harbor you know rock and roll was starting and I'm sure that those kids you don't know what happened weren't completely connected to that <laughs> the damn Japanese uh, as a matter of fact, where's my uh, my little intern, Dana? Oh, Dana's in the back. Is she uh, looking for gossip? Is she yeah, talking to her friends like, about the voice last night? Radar and TMZ. Whose who's chair turned around first? <laughs> well, she's... Uh, Dana is, uh, is a little Jersey girl. Dana, how old were you? Uh, 9-11. Nine. Nine years old. Fuck. So what grade is that? That's like first or second grade. First or second grade. Yeah. So what is even your memories? I uh, we were in class and so I, how how far do you live from Ground Zero? You grew uh, up forty five minutes from the city. All right, forty five minutes from mm -hmm. the city. So so I couldn't see it or anything, but our teacher just stopped the class and asked randomly, "Do we know anyone that works in the towers?" And we're like, "What? What are those?" Wow. Like, we, didn't, we didn't. Oh wait, it gets worse. We no, we had no idea. We're like, no. Our principal comes in, he was going to every classroom, and they put on the news, like on the TV in the classroom, and no no, no one knew what was going on, and then my mom called, she went to school and she got me, everyone's parents were picking them up, and when I told my mom, she's like, why would they put that on the TV, like, we're nine years old. I guess that they um, wanted you to have that sense of history. I guess so. Uh, because it was actually living history. What did you say wow to, Fez? It just seems like, what if somebody did have family in the World Trade Center? Then, then you pull that kid out. Yeah, but I mean, it's That's probably like what they scary were yeah. to do it that way. What other way would you have done it? Uh, I would wait till the parents started contacting and let the parents handle what it. What if the, the parents were in the tower? <laughs> this is what you got to understand. Uh, so many people that were lost that day are from North Jersey, Long Island, Connecticut. That people that you know bridged and tunneled and trained it into the city every day. So when you go around small towns in Jersey, Connecticut, they have their own memorials about those people. Mm -hmm. So probably what they were trying to do rather than take all the time to go through the records, is just say to the little kids, hey, does anybody's parents live in the towers? I mean, work in the towers. Oh, they do? Hey, why don't you come on down to the principal's office? It seemed like it was... Uh, you have to remember that there wasn't some kind of uh, handbook for how to handle that. And uh, I remember that day running around grabbing uh, kids and being at the school when there were kids screaming that that... That's where their parents work, you know. Oh, um, teachers all over. Um, basically, when you think about it, all over, you know, the Northeast had to think about those things because I'm sure Boston people getting on planes and uh, people in D.C. It was the same exact thing. But out of all those people uh, that were part of it that day. It's so weird to think of somebody like Dana, who this is about what more than half your life ago, or just yeah, about half your life ago. Half my life. And there you were, just a little kid that day. And I remember that day looking at kids her age, going, uh, "That's a whole different world than I grew up in." You know, that's a completely, <laughs> no you know, because you didn't know what the. 
you know, people are like, after the fact, like, what do you say to kids? Like, they kept bringing stuff up. But some kids were incredibly curious about it, and other kids were like, hey, we got a half day. I'm going to go out and play. And get tomorrow no, off. I was told opposite. I was scared because I was, I was in the car after my mom picked me up, and my mom was on the phone with my dad. My dad was bugging out, like, packed the car full of food. He wanted to, like, leave and, like... Bugging out, so I'm like, where, where are we going? Go? Where are we going? I don't know. <laughs> where are you going to go? Just take a nice long trip somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, but that see, that's a, a whole entire thing too, because when you uh, have kids, uh, that experience is also completely different. Because it is never what happens. Imagine. You know, once you have kids. What happens to you is just like a side project. You know, <laughs> it's like, what do you do? Uh, with kids, um, Rob, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, good afternoon. Oh, good morning, actually. How are you? Good. Um, Ronnie, I wanted to ask you, you know, it's just a few short years after, uh, the Japs did it to us at Pearl Harbor that we were buying televisions from them. Do you think we're going to be buying mattresses and refrigerators from uh, Al-Qaeda real soon? Well, you're not going to buy them from Al-Qaeda, as you put it. But, yes, you hope that the world gets always to a place where people start doing different types of competition. Um, you know, because obviously a lot of people, if you were a certain age, never got used to us doing business with the Germans and Japanese, particularly when they started to beat us at certain industrial things. But you would much rather have those people... Uh, making microwaves than you would missiles, you know what I mean? Jihads. You, yeah, you definitely would love to get into a position where, okay, we will com we will compete in the marketplace and compete at the Olympics, not so much compete on a on a battlefield. Um, so yeah, hopefully that they will get there. In the eleven years, um, I don't. Think or feel like we're much closer to um, coming to any kind of understanding, mainly because such a, a big part of it is not political, and uh, political ideas can change a lot faster than religious ideas, especially fundamentalist fucking yeah, which are just the craziest of the fucking crazy. Yeah, when you, whoever you are, if you have some belief system that there's some eternal God that's going to reward you for things that you do, it's a lot different to change those ideas than, hey, we got rid of that leader and we're heading in a new direction. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, um, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Uh, here's John in North Carolina. You're on Run a Fez show. Hey there, Ron. You know, I was just calling to check on Fez because we know he gets freaked out by empty stadiums. This has really got to be sending them batshit crazy. I will say this 11 years ago. The, uh, Fez handled it as well as anyone else in New York. But that was really before this anxiety, depression thing that you have. Yeah, that's when my anxiety was very limited to a couple of phobias and... Yeah, before it was an everyday occurrence. But um, Fez didn't have any problems any more than anyone else <laughs> at that time. Um, which is really bizarre to me, because now, if it happened, I would me immediately be like, what are we going to do with Fez? How, who's going to, you know? But back then, I didn't even think that way at all. Um, 
Dana, how long were you out of school before you went back in and everything kind of returned to no normal? No idea. You can't remember they too much about it. Did they cancel school? I think they canceled yeah, school they for like two days. Yeah, they canceled school for a while. Yeah. I don't think it was for. I think it was like two days. I don't think it was more than like a week. Maybe I'm thinking of New York kids. Maybe. Well, actually, they started putting kids back to school fairly soon in New York because I just remembered because a lot of the parents worked, and not only is schools and education, but <laughs> daycare. It's, yeah, it's daycare and babysitting. Um, so did it now? As much as you can remember, did life kind of return to normal? Yeah. Or did it stay where it just, yep. you just was, became a little kid again? I didn't again. really know what was going on. Yeah. Even if it happened today, I don't think you would know what was going on. That's the beauty <laughs> no, of, of your attitude. is so great. <laughs> is that you're not going to really focus. Um, the Tom, RA would write up the hijackers. Yeah. Tom, you're on the Run of Fest show. Morning, everyone. Yeah, uh, yeah question for Dana. Uh, we kind of all know that. Pepper rode the short bus with the helmet on, but... Fuck you, I was on the long bus. <laughs> you weren't on a bus. No, I was on a train, I was on the subway. Yeah. You were nine years old in first grade, that had to be the... First grade had to be the best three years of your life. All right, she... You know, I'm It was sure. an estimate. Yeah. Break. <laughs> I'm sure she was at nine in first grade. She just <laughs> doesn't remember all the details. Oh, my God. Um... 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Um, here's Jason in Rochester. You're on the Run of Fez show. How are we doing, Ronnie? Good. Um, I just remember I was in uh, fifth or sixth grade, and uh, we were in the middle of science class, and the teacher brought in a TV or told us all about it, and then we had to go right to our next class, which was music. And just to prove that kids are heartless assholes, most a uh, few of our kids in our class were uh, laughing and cracking jokes during the whole thing. And our music teacher completely freaked out on us and made us watch the news and kick those kids out. Yeah, well, not only kids, some kids do that, some adults do it. I guarantee you, if it was a Twitter world, oh. the Twitter jokes would start immediately. Yeah, just... And then the other sites would capture those things and look with the <laughs> And then people would write to them like, you <laughs> bastard sons of bitches. And um, here's Jamie. Jamie, you're on the Run of Fest show. Yeah, it was a, uh, we woke up that morning. We Our first daughter actually had just been born on 9-9. We woke up, and that's what we woke up to on, on the TV was the towers being on fire. And that's actually the day we brought our daughter home from the hospital. And it was weird because I, I looked at my wife and I was like, what did we bring our kid into? Yeah, sure. That's the weirdest thing about it is like everything that, you know, felt like it had rules to it before then, suddenly had no rules whatsoever. So if you had any kind of little kids, um, you were just staring at them going, <laughs> I don't know, dude. I uh, I don't know what your life is going to be like. I don't know if school matters or whether I should teach you to use a crossbow. Um, here is... Uh, James in Colorado, you're in Run Fez. Hey, Ronnie. We've been memorializing the Twin Towers for the last 11 years. When do you think the year's going to come we're going to memorialize the third building that fell that, that day? Well, we, we, we don't memorialize the buildings as the people that were inside it. Uh, so it's a different situation. Um, because of people here uh, in New York and... 
the surrounding areas, we think of the amount of first responders that also ran into those buildings. Still after 11 years, it's hard to believe. Hard to believe that there is a job that you run into a building that is just been hit and is in danger of you know coming down. I'll never get used to thinking about those guys. Um, Shane, you're on the Ron Fez show. What's up, guys? Uh, oh. I've been a detective for 10 years. I came on NYPD in the class after 9-11. And uh, I remember 9-11, you guys, I was sitting in my room listening to 1027, just listening to you guys, you know, taking calls and, and uh, listening to people's stories. And I, I just wanted to say thank you to you guys. Well, um, there was a, it was a, an incredibly remarkable thing to be on the air in New York City then, particularly after it got later and later at night and whatever feelings people had. And very little, a lot of people go, oh, when you guys were on the air, all we really did during that time is just take phone calls one after another, let people tell their stories, let people work, look for people. And one of the people that we became uh, friends with is on right now, uh, Hard Rock Johnny. Johnny. Hello, boys. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. How are you? Uh, Johnny was one of these guys right away who, once people started to go downtown, he started to put together things to give to folks, you know, when they were looking for food and water and gloves and all that kind of stuff. Johnny had his place uh, up in 57th then, and uh, he actually helped uh, the NEW listeners kind of find a place of focus on what to do. The amazing thing was how quickly that when he would start and get stuff, they would say, okay, that's enough stuff you guys are getting. That's, I don't know what you think we're going to do with that much bread. <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> crazy. It really was. We, I remember we went on the air and, you know, walked across the street and every show that was over there, we went on and said, hey, we're going to be collecting stuff. But it started on that Thursday, really. And, and, I remember that there's two ladies just pulled up in like a little station wagon and they're like, you collecting food to, to help. I said, yeah. And they opened up the back of their little station wagon and there was like 50 loaves of Arnold's bread. And I'm like, it's a lot of bread. I don't know what we're going to put between it. And then next thing you know, like Boar's Head truck stops by and drops off like 20 cases of like meat. And it was just constant over, over four days of people just coming with stuff, trucks of stuff. And we had just lines of people. The other, the other one that always stands out is Saturday morning, like 6 a.m. I'm coming into New York, and I pull up to the Hard Rock, and there's a line of people standing all the way up the block waiting to just come in and volunteer to help. Because people really didn't, you know, you didn't know how to help. There was no way. And right. I think we were, you know, through, you know, talking about it, getting people to come out and, and do something. We just had people who were writing notes that we were putting in sandwich bags, and then we were taking them down to, you know, literally dropping coolers worth of food uh, you know, on the edge of the pit for these guys who were down there working, and people were saying thank you to us, and it was just the weirdest thing because all we were doing was giving them some lunch. They were in there doing the hard work. How, you know? how long did that go on, Johnny? We did four four solid days of it. Mm -hmm. We did we did that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and people were just dropping stuff. I mean, it was like you know they hear stuff on the news. Like remember, they wanted like booties for the dogs, and all of a sudden we had a, like cases of little booties showing up for the dogs, and. Yeah. You know, it was it was just weird that it would show up and then they'd say, "Do you have it?" And then we'd take it, organize it, send it back out. It was it was amazing. And then, and, like, then you, 
the air masks were being like sold out of the stores because those mm-hmm. were all being donated. You were yep. uh, uh, talking about the people working there at the time. So many of those guys, the union guys, just showed up. No organization. Everyone forgets that, uh, you know, because we think about the, the first responders and stuff like that. But so many union guys who had any kind of construction skills, you would just see guys just come driving in with cranes. Yeah, and, their own tools and yeah, shit. That yeah, that they took them off the site, man. Yeah. They would just take bulldozers and stuff and just come rolling in together. And it was, again, even though this was the worst time of most of our lifetimes, it's hard to imagine that kind of unity existing in America. And you start to kind of romanticize that yourself. You're like, what if we could have kept that kind of, you know, feeling together? You know, and it, it kind of like I was looking last night on Facebook, and I'm trolling around, and you know, oh, my football team's the best. Oh, uh, this political stuff. Vote for this guy, and it just makes it all so trivial to look at it and say, you know what? It's it's where we've become. You know, you get divided by so much, and we haven't had something that's brought us together since. And before that, you know, I don't think the last time that the, the country was together was probably like. World War Two. I mean, you know, you get these common enemies in it, you know, and it was for that brief moment where everyone was driving around with flags on their cars and, you know, it was all about being together. And then, you know, as time goes on, you kind of, I don't say people forget, but it doesn't become as important and it's not as polarized. And, you know, you start to get back to your normal everyday thing and it just makes it, you know, for those brief moments, it was, it was a real kind of a cool time to be around and as horrible as it was at the same time. No one could believe that Johnny would show up with Elvis pants for those guys. <laughs> oh he had Elton John glasses. That's amazing. Anything you want from the hard rock, Good. guys. Whatever you want. Yeah. It'll Keep help. the dust out of your Take eyes. Take it. If it helps, just use it. Um, all right. Thanks so much, Johnny. All right, boys. See you later on. Peace. Uh, Swissies checking in who we had met around that uh, time Um, most of the people who kind of met each other during that time stayed friends for a real real long time as well Um, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ here's Joe, Joe you're on the Ron Fez show hello yeah hey Ronnie and crew uh, good morning my uh, memory is I was uh, flying a charter from Albuquerque to Phoenix, and ATC came on the radio uh, and said that we had to land immediately at the closest available airport. So we ended up landing in Winslow, and the airplane, of course, stayed there for five days because everything was grounded. Uh, but it was shocking because at the time, you know, we didn't know what was going on, and then and it was almost like, you know, nuclear war or, or whatnot. We didn't know until... We got on the ground and got on the TV and saw the devastation, and our hearts uh, went out to not just the victims, but to all you guys there that had to witness that stuff. And it was it was uh, hard for us. We we couldn't imagine, you know, out here in the Southwest, what y'all went through and and uh, how strong you guys made it through. So I just wanted to pass that along to you guys. Thanks for calling, Joe. It's uh, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. I was even kind of surprised that they're still uh, doing the names reading. I thought that last year was going to be the last time that they 
uh, broke that open, only because it becomes less and less of a real thing to every, you know, every year. There's more and more people who weren't <laughs> around for that. I mean, there's, uh, you know, Dana alone, who's in her early 20s now and doesn't really recall. To, I mean, she remembers that as just confusion more than anything else. Um, so I wonder how long that you keep doing that. I mean, obviously, you know, you always want to remember it, but it does belong to a certain generation just in the same way that, you know, VJ Day. <laughs> you know, I mean, I saw all those pictures of the sailor kissing the nurse in Times Square, and I'm like, oh, that looks cool, but I, <laughs> no party. way could I relate to it, you know? No way could I understand. Like, there was nothing in my lifetime like, let's all go dance. I mean, there would always be, hey, the Pistons won. Do you want to light some cars on fire? <laughs> but outside of that, uh, it was, you know. So I just wonder how long that's um, going to go down. Here's Kevin in Connecticut. You're on my first. Good morning, guys. Hey. The weirdest thing for me was like a couple of days after, just not seeing a plane in the sky. It was just, it was just creepy. Um, that was weird, but even weirder is when you started seeing planes again. <laughs> yeah, especially over fucking New York, like right, is right. I think it's over like Sixth or Seventh Avenue. You could, they, they fly directly over Manhattan. Have you ever got used to a low plane? No, never in New York. It's just <laughs> any time no. that you look up. And uh, see one. It's fucking freaky. It's freaky. I see a lot of them in Jersey all the time. They always fly low. Cause I'm near Newark Airport. And my yeah, mom you will look get up that and every... like, that plane's flying very low. I'm like, Ma, they all fly low. We live near an airport. <laughs> You're going to get that every 15 minutes. I get so. it all the time. It's so annoying. And my mother screamed that her first visit to the city after the attacks. A plane flew over and she screamed out loud on 57th Street, where's that plane going? <laughs> JFK. Um... Drives us crazy ever since then. Here's Brian in Boston. You're on a fez. Hey, what's up, guys? What's up? So um, I was managing a restaurant at the time, um, and we ran, like, big functions and shit like that. And I remember it's, like, 1030 in the morning, and the whole world's going crazy. There's fucking people in the bar crying and just nuts. And I get this phone call. It's a lady from, um, from a party from the day before calls me and actually starts complaining that several of the people in the party had dry chicken. What did you do? Just things, lose your shit? Fire your chef? No, no, I was managing the restaurant at the time, but I'm sitting there, like, thinking in my head, like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Right. Of all the things <laughs> that... And she actually said when she called, she said, I know this probably isn't the best time, but... <laughs> You know, several people yesterday were complaining the chicken was dry. In my head, I'm like, are you yeah, fucking but You should be like, yeah, we're all crying about it down here now. And <laughs> Everybody's getting drunk. Yeah, it's like to pull together. All right, so I was talking about, like, how long do, do you do this? You know how they always do the moment of silence as which plane yeah. hit, you know? Uh, the Today Show, apparently, from what I'm reading right now, did not do their moment of silence. Oh, man. They threw it to an interview where Chris Jenner was talking <sighs> about the upcoming season of the Kardashians, and now people are... Furious. Yeah, furious. But I guess NBC is saying, we did it for 10 years. 
You know, at, at some point, do you have a cutoff for that? It's a tough thing to call, and obviously it's not anything that the government would say, here's... Here's the rules for. Well, it's very weird because, like, in the subways, NBC is advertising all their new fall shows that start tonight. And there's just big, giant things that say September 11th. Go on, starring Matthew Perry. The new normal, September 11th. I want to see some of these. Matthew Perry is doing that sports show. So you're saying that's a bad thing or a good thing? I, I think it's a bad thing. I just I see September 11th in print and... It just it makes me think of one thing. I, I think it's but, but that's just you personally. No, I, you know it's the same exact thing for people. Uh, for Pearl Harbor, you know we have Pearl Harbor Day, but did it mean anything to you when you were a kid? No, no. Yeah, I mean it's just it's not supposed to. The thing is, the way you feel about it, I think, is your personal thing to hold on to. But I don't know if the world can. Or should hold on to it the same way. God. I don't think they should put premieres on September 11th. They shouldn't be promoting stuff on September 11th. It is the I beginning agree. of the fall, you know, season. Put it next I mean, tomorrow. Um, <laughs> we played football on September 11th. Jeez, he fucking put an owl mouth. The original September 11th and went like plaid. Like it was all the ridiculous man. Well, he didn't know. I think he. You might know, have. he did not <laughs> line a, it up. I'm to, a Jay Z truther. Hey, this is going to be interesting. Nobody be working. Maybe they could all go check out. Um, here's Frankie in Poughkeepsie. You're on the Run of Fish show. Hey, guys. Uh, yeah. I, I lived down in Queens at the time of the attacks, and, and, and I remember vividly uh, the shows you guys did in the wake of September 11th. And, and it was just really an amazing thing you guys did, and, and really a courageous thing. Uh, of just taking every call and letting them voice their grief, their anger, their 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 fear, their sadness, and and it was kind of like a a family getting together and just discussing it. And it really it, it was it was therapy. It it was community. It, it was a, really a, a thing of beauty. And 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 that song "Walk On" will never mean the same to me again. Yeah, same here. Um, the amazing thing there too is that most people think they were listening September 11th. But so many of those shows that he's talking about went on for months. I mean, I know it was weeks before they started running commercials on the radio again. Fuck. Because they just felt like, oh, commercial? It <laughs> seems like we're... Uh, I know it took a week before you, you got shows like Letterman uh, back on TV. And um, there was always this thing of like, well, how does uh, Letterman go back on TV and what can you do in this kind of world? And I'm like, well, between us and O&A, we've done about 40 hours now. So I think Dave is going to do okay with his hour. You know, you're going to be able to go on and do it. And, and personally, if I was running the networks, I would have put uh, Dave on that night. I would have. I would have. Ju- I would have put. I would have kept as much that felt like this is what people do during this. Um, weirdly enough, because one of the people that made the show showed how uh, people acted was uh, Mayor Giuliani, who uh, was the mayor of New York at the time, and 
you know, you could always say love him or hate him, but he was both. He was the kind of guy that you loved and hated, depending on what he did that morning, what hair uh, was up his ass that morning, because he would have great days and he would have pissy days. He was very, very funny as a mayor, but he never gave any kind of great speech. He never kind of uh, warmed people up. He just stayed on the job of... Here's when trash is getting picked up. We're not doing uh, the parking tomorrow. It'll be done the next day. City's still running. Uh, yeah. Uh, these trains are open, so be up there, and there'll be a bus that takes you over. And he would come on the air about once every hour, it seemed like, or two hours, of just maintenance work, of just talking about this is what we're doing. And he would use the TV that anybody who's a cop, you're in the city now. I want everybody brought in. Anyone who's a fireman, you're on the job. And that kind of stuff made you go, oh, I yeah, you do what you can until everything uh, responds to normal. You do whatever you have to do, despite the situation. Um, here's uh, Tim. Tim, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, first time calling. Thanks for having me on. Hey, buddy. Hey, um, I was working at a rental car company at the time, and there was two things that kind of just reminded me of everything. Uh, the first thing being that, uh, you know, nobody could fly anywhere, so our phones were slammed of people from all over trying to get back home. Um, the second thing was, uh, come to find out about two or three days after 9-11 uh, happened, uh, the feds were in our office con constantly, um, probably two or three times a day. Uh, come to find out a couple of the people who were involved in all of that were renting cars from us and going up to Boston. Um, to try and plan all this stuff out. So it was just the weird to, to have these feds in there every day showing us pictures of people that we've rented to who were involved in this. And just think, if you guys were on the job. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Then, if the know. rental car people drop the ball, then everything gets dropped, doesn't it, Tim? Yeah. Way to go, big man. Hope you feel good. I wish I was working in that rental place that day. I would have went crazy. Huh? Lip motherfuckers. I would have seriously went Mark Wahlberg all over that whole place. <laughs> that whole entire place. Uh, Adam, you're on the Run of Fish show. Um, Adam. Hey, uh, Ron of Fish. How you guys doing today? What can we do for you, pal? Hey, listen. I, uh, I remember our first trip back into the city. We were up in Dutchess County, and we went down to a Yankee playoff game right after 9/11. Because you remember, they put baseball on hold at the at the end of the at the end of the year. Yeah. And uh, we were sitting in the upper decks, and you know, with your back up against it, and out of the top of the old Yankee Stadium, you could see right out. And I just remember being there with my friends, and we saw this plane coming towards the stadium, and the whole side of the stadium, you know. You know, held its collective breath as, as we watched this plane getting closer and closer, and it was a, and it was a flyover of the F-16, and you know it came right over top of the place, and the place just erupted. But I remember going from absolute scared to death, thinking that you know planes coming to the stadium, to elation, knowing that the, the U.S. military is there, and they did. They flew right around the stadium. The yeah, they did that kind of stuff could, all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, uh, well, that was the other part of it that was so strange. And to this day, it's so strange because after those uh, planes hit the towers and you heard that the Pentagon hit, and then you hear that there's another plane down in Pennsylvania, you think to yourself, this is the start 
of something gigantic. We're being invaded or we, something. Uh, yes, this is how me. it starts. To think that that was the beginning and end to their plans at the time uh, was just baffling because then you're like, well, what did you even try to do? And that's when you figure out you just tried to kill some people and cause terror and cause people yeah. to stop what they're doing. I remember uh, looking up like 9-11 to date to see if it was an anniversary or something on like fucking Wikipedia or some shit. Just like I had no idea what was fucking going, home, going on when I got home. So that day you were like, I'm going to find out what connection I can have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were in school too, right? I was in uh, I was Hunter College in Upper East Side. Mm -hmm. I had gotten out of class at like 8.45 in the morning. And then I had gotten on a train. The, apparently the last train out of the fucking city in the Queens. And it comes out of the tunnel and to the elevated track in Queens Royal Plaza. And to the right, I just see the fucking Twin Towers on fire. And then the and there's a guy in the train screaming like, oh, my fucking kid called out at work today or some shit. He's supposed to be in the fucking towers. And then the train stops and stalls in Queens Row Plaza. We get out. And there's like dozens of people with fucking video cameras fucking videotaping this thing. Yeah. And then the first one fucking drops and everyone loses their shit. And it was just fucking nuts. Yeah, it was, it was impossible to even imagine that. that <laughs> it's fucking, this isn't real life. Right. God damn buildings are dropping. It was amazing because I uh, saw them on fire that day too. And it was amazing how much it looked like a Bruckheimer movie. I mean, just, I don't know, maybe CGI is a lot better than we give it credit for. Because seeing that with your own eyes is something that almost like felt like you were prepared to see. Like you had, it did not seem overly shocking. It felt somewhat familiar because Hollywood has been in so in love with um, disaster films for so long that they uh, they pulled it off, I guess. Here's uh, uh, BJ in Arkansas. You're on Fez. Hey, uh, I, I remember within a couple of days after this happened, we I remember watching it that night, you know, and then I, my girlfriend at the time, and my, she's my wife now, but I remember telling her within a couple of days that I, I probably should plan on getting... I was in the military. I was in, in the reserves, and I told her I probably ought to figure on that I was going to get called back. And uh, I'm a medic, so I knew I'd wind up going. So and by March, I'd already been told I was coming. I was going back, so... So just that, that night, you're like, my life is changed again yeah, yeah well you know i kind of thought it that night but within a couple of days when they had more information i knew i knew for sure that you know that there would be a build-up and we'd go back so Thanks. i knew for sure i'd go i knew i just knew it i could feel it that i'd go being a medic so and i was right so uh let's go over I, here to uh john john you're on the run of fest show hey ron hey excuse me if i'm a little nervous I came out of New York, I drive truck, and I was over JFK on Monday, and I came out, I was on the GW, and there was a big wreck, and it just had everything all boogered up and everything, and I was, I got back to Columbus, and I was listening to it on the radio and everything, I went home, they called me, and they said, well, you got to go back to New York, and I said, well, can you get in there, and they said, well, you're going to go ahead and get in there, and I went over to the supply center for the, the military, and they loaded the whole trailer with body bags. And I got to do stamp to get on the, the PA turnpike. And, you know, the turnpike's really busy all the time. And there was a cop car sitting there, and they got the bill of lading, you know, which we have to show them, you know, what we were carrying and everything. 
and we zipped across there, and there was me and another truck and two troopers. We and I didn't know at the time there at the Somerset actually where that plane went down. And I got over to uh, Newark to Liberty Airport, and it, I commented it to the guy. It was the, night, the first time that somebody at the toll plaza was ever nice to you. You know, the guy, you know, halfway decent. And got to the airport, and one of the Port Authority guys asked me, he says, are you going back to Ohio? I said, yeah. And he says, well, there's no flights that are leaving. He says, if we can find some people, could you take them back with you? And I crammed about five people in the cab of the truck, and we went back to Columbus. And we've all been friends ever since. Isn't that amazing that after something like that, that's that thing where you stop being these bodies that just pass each other, and you start to uh, bond a little bit. Here's Angelo in Westchester. Yeah, hi, Ron. Um, I don't know if the screener put it down, but I was actually at the foot of the building. Mm-hmm. Just as a precursor, I used to work uh, a block away. Um, and, you know, I saw the whole thing. I lost a lot, a lot of friends there between Canner, uh, the, where the plane hit. I actually worked in that building where the plane hit. Uh, the point of my call, though, is, you know, for the first five years of the the 9-11, for the first anniversary, I couldn't even sort of think about it. I, I, I shut down. I wouldn't even think about uh, going to work, all that stuff. And then eventually, and I, this might be a little bit of a sort of a counter controversial thing, I, I realized you have to let it go. You don't not stop remembering, but... Every year since then, and every year now, it's kind of like you keep opening up old wounds. And it might not be as easy for the actual families of the victims, but for a lot of people, you know, to get over it, you kind of have to start putting it back of your head. Otherwise, you're going to keep reliving this horrific event. And the only way you're going to start healing, or at least keep on healing, is if you actually try to not think about it as much as possible. Um, Because every time I think about it, I think about all those people that, you know, jumped out of the building, all the friends and uh, and colleagues that I used to work with who died. And it opens up a lot of these wounds that, you know, you have a year to sort of heal and not think about it. And then every September 11th, when they do all this stuff, it sort of brings back all these memories. And for some people, it's very raw. And the way I've kind of dealt with it is to actually just not think about it. I mean, I've gotten to the point where this morning my parents had to call me and they said, you know, are you watching the news? Are you listening? I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, it's September 11th. And I've gotten to that place where I don't think about it anymore. And it's helped me deal with a lot of the, the angst that comes with the event. And again, you know, people are different, but... If you can try to put it in the back of your head and not think about it, and again, not forgetting all the all the pain and suffering that the families have gone through, you know, the country can move on. You have to move on because all you're doing is reopening wounds, you know, pulling on scabs, and, it, you know, how long is it going to be before people start to realize that every time you do this, you're just reopening the same... Well, like yeah, like you said, everybody needs something different. Some people just need a moment. Some people wish it was a holiday. Other people, like yourself, wish that it could just be taken out. You're never going to get into 
a 100% we appreciate it. Uh, like the Today Show going to the Kardashian break, I'm sure they said to themselves, didn't say to themselves, what's the most stupid thing that we could <laughs> possibly do to get everybody mad at us? But do you think that you take a moment of silence for the rest of America and say, I want everybody to sit here now during the news quietly and think back to what happened. I don't know if that can be done either because there's whole generations of people that aren't connected. Yeah, that, 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 that can't be done. It's just when, when the Today Show took a stand and said, fuck it, this is when we're going to end it. And then they're, now they're just eating shit. They will for a while. Well, I, I guess this just happened. I don't even know... Um, a lot of uh, about it, but um, I guess this is something that just uh, came down today that they decided. I wonder if it would have been better if they would have said before, "Hey, we're not going to do the moment of silence things anymore." I wish they would have just brought Dan in for, you know, gossip news. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Like gossip news. I'm more than happy to come in. Uh, would it be better for you if people didn't run the stuff on TV? Does it? Matter to you, or you don't no. care one way or another. What about for you, Chris? Um, uh, I still feel I, I I'll watch it, like the run the stuff on TV. You think that reading the names and all I like is still important. Know. Yeah, I think it still is. What about you, Fuzz? Yeah, I think it's very important. I think the moment of silence, the names. But what do you think when you hear about somebody like who just called us, who was there and is like, I can't go through this. I, you're asking me to come back up no. with the same emotions every year, and I don't want to. I know guys that refuse to, you know, go to their parents' gravesite or whatever because they don't. It's still too much for them, you know. No matter what it happens to be, there's some. At what point do you say life goes on, uh, and life is for the living now, you know? It's fucking tough. Um, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Um, here's, uh, here's Travis. Travis, you're on the Ron Fez show. Hey, uh, I'm a relatively new listener to the show. I kind of appreciate what you guys are doing here. Um, I don't have the equipment to, like, disaster zones. And, uh, I was down by the Twin Towers about five days after it hit down there and as a grown man I'm unstrapping this big group piece of equipment and I just you know kind of broke out in tears and you know some of the people like you know Johnny and them the you know the people helping out you know felt like you know, I felt like a jackass they you know come put their arm around me and do all this stuff and you know people you know people that help out like that are just you know the kind of people that kind of you know made things a lot easier on everybody you know, they uh, like I said, I've been to disaster zones everywhere. Katrina, the tornadoes that just hit in Kentucky, and there was nothing, nothing quite like being out in New York when it happened. I mean, just the camaraderie of everybody was amazing. Uh, and people came in too from all around the country. I remember uh, people came in from New Orleans and bringing this fantastic food that they were cooking on the street, and they were handing it out to everybody. We met so many. Just crazy, fun, kind of optimistic, you know, people, wild people that just, 
started to come into the city and go, what do you want, man? I can hang out as long as you possibly need. <laughs> and they would have to say to these guys, we've got it now. You know what I mean? We have stuff lined up. We appreciate it. And then those people would just hang around on the on the outside. You know what I mean? They would still be on the uh, fringes. Uh, Keegan in New Mexico, you're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, guys. Um, I was on an aircraft carrier in the Indian Ocean uh, when this happened. I think it was the, the middle of the night, and I was on watch. And my, uh, my boss, I, I was the catapult supervisor for the steam catapults that launch the airplanes. And my supervisor calls me and tells me to turn on the TV. Uh, and I, I turn it on right before the second plane hits. And uh, just immediately over the, the loudspeaker, the 1MC, they say, alert, uh, launch alert 5, alert 15 on deck, uh, standby alert 30. And uh, immediately they had me take two of the catapults out of maintenance layup and wow. get everything running. And we just put plane after plane into the air, just... Uh, we thought we were going to war. We thought... You, you thought this is it. We're dropping the hammer the right from here, man. Fuck. Yep. It, it turned out to be the, the same ship. They later uh, dropped uh, Bin Laden's body into the ocean from the, the USS Carl Vinson. The, oh, that, that, ship's, that ship was in it the whole time. Thank you for calling, my friend. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. We're going to... Uh, Get off topic uh, here for a bit. Um, actually, we didn't even plan on doing the first hour like that. I remember last year, I was saying, this will probably be the last time <laughs> we sit around and talk about things like this. Uh, we've got a guy coming by in just a little bit who's got this amazing, amazing thing going on uh, where he takes autistic kids out on surfboards and it kind of changes their entire state. What? Um, Just yeah. get on the water? Being in the water and being in the waves and stuff like that. I think we're, should we break first or do you want to hold on? We can hold on. Um, but there's a his, his name is Izzy Paskowitz and he's part of Doc Paskowitz uh, family and if you are familiar with surfing at all you know that family because doc is a guy who he, he i think he kind of homeschooled his kids and they all just like lived in this camper traveling around following the surf that's fucking awesome and you know um they're just like surf kids man from word go and izzy has this uh surf school himself the surf camp that people love, but then also he does this thing called surfer's healing. And you have to take it, you know, there's so much autism out there now. It um, seems like it comes up all the time. But don't you find that there's something at the ocean? Well, I love it. I mean, but even beyond, like, what it does to you mentally and emotionally, like, it it's definitely is... definitely mood-changing. Why, though? Why <laughs> does that happen? It's beautiful. Yeah, but I think it's more than that. It's something to do with the ions or something. You know what I mean? Like, there's something. It's one thing to look at it, but to, uh, maybe the fact that you can hear it, taste it, feel smell it, it, you know, smell it. Yeah, all the senses change, and it will, you know, change your state. Well, Izzy's uh, figured out 
And I believe this is all pretty non-scientific. Because he has an autistic kid himself. That when you take autistic kids out on the board. uh, During the time that they're out there. There's some changes to take place. That's fucking wild. They just become something different. They... Yeah, they find it easier to cope. They find a a, a different way of being. And I was thinking, because you got a, a crazy temper. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That maybe we need to get you down. Son get of you out on a board. And a longboard, dude. I mean, you're a soul surfer. Let's face it. I don't want to see you carving up those waves. All right, I'll get on a longboard, sure. I want to see you get on the longboard and just gently take that wave and working with the wave, not against it. Fuck, that's going to be hard. Because my first instinct is to work against it. See, that's the problem. And that's working against Mother Nature. Um, and we will uh, tie in. We'll find a nice prize, too, uh, for the first responders. And it's at Izzy Paskowitz, which is I-Z-Z. Paskowitz, but go over to uh, the iBang and, uh, you know, check it out there because we'll put this up. We'll go in deep into our prize closet and find something cool to give away. But surfershealing.com. I first found out about this. uh, Well, I've seen stuff done on the Paskowitz family and the, the kind of alternative way that they were raised by their mom and dad. Um, and there was something like nine of them. Holy and every shit. one of them was in the water every single day, man. That sounds like that's the shit. Uh, and Izzy uh, became like a longboard champion. But look at the people who um, praise his bulk on the back. Flea. Hell yeah. Uh, Kelly Slater. Florida's own Kelly Slater. Which goes to pro- prove you can... Learn to surf in a place that does not have gigantic waves. <laughs> East Coast. What's up? Um, and then Anthony Kiedis. Really, just two chili peppers <laughs> and Kelly Slater. Oh, no, here's Sarah McLaughlin, too. Okay, cool. All right, that's good. I just didn't want to bring it down to the surfers and chili peppers. Well, you know, Kiedis was in point break, so that gives so him... So was Flea. Oh, yeah. Well, wait, now am I crazy that Flea was in it, too? Was he? Uh, Kiedis was, like, fucking one of the gang. He was one of those neo-Nazis. <laughs> yeah, he was selling fucking meth, which pissed off Tom Sizemore. And I thought Flea also got shot up in the fucking meth house. Uh, did you just say Tom Sizemore? Tom Sizemore was the undercover cop that got pissed off at Johnny Utah in in the, in the fucking um, bus scene. When they, like... Bust down the house, and oh, then he's man. the undercover cop. He's like, "What the fuck do you think you're doing? I've been on, under. I've been Why don't shit. I recall that at all? I fuck. I, all right, I'll make sure. So I'm not. I don't crazy. recall that at all. I might have to ask Izzy about it. <laughs> but how weird is this that you know a surfer could come up with something like that? And they take these things around, and they're surfers, and those happen all over uh, the country for surfers healing. And I don't know if even, like, doctors or shrinks can figure it out. That just fucking proves that the, we don't know shit about the brain. We do know shit well, about no, the but, brain. But, we don't know everything. Well, we don't know enough. Is, is it Sizemore? 
It's Sizemore is in Point Break. He's the undercover cop. Why don't I recall that at all? I mean, I'm, he's, in, he's in the movie for 20 seconds. <laughs> I'm basically, though, like Dana with that. Like, I don't know what happened. Um, Kevin in Houston, you're in Fez. Hey, Bonus. Yeah. Hey, uh, it wasn't uh, Tom Sizemore's Gary Busey when he wasn't. Not the uh, fucking star. Come on. A bit player. And uh, Anthony Kiedis and Flea were also in another great movie that year starring uh, Charlie Sheen called The Chase, which was filmed in Houston. And they played two rogue people. You're driving me nuts. Here's, here's Sizemore. There he is. He's all pissed off because he had to hang out with these fucking meth heads for months to try to get a bust, and they fucking the local cops come in, screw it all up. Oh no, the FBI. Sizemore was a local cop. It's mm. great. Um, do we know where we are on time? Uh, three minutes. Let me take uh, Dutch here. Dutch, you're on the run of fish show. Hey, buddies, how are you? Good man. Hey, look, I'm I'm an a-hole finance guy, but I did live downtown uh, during 9-11, and our fire department was one of the first guys in, and they lost half their squad right out of the gate. So, you know, I didn't know what the hell to do, so I went over to the firehouse, and I was like, hey, can I give you guys a hand? I figured, like, you know, cleaning gear or something. Yeah. And they looked at me, they were like, uh, why don't you come with us? And next thing I know, they, they just brought me right in, threw some gear on, and so, you know, I'm helping out. And through all the shit I see and everything else, as horrible as it was, there were two things that stood out that to this day like, are, the, are the funniest things. Um, when we were getting, like, you know, everybody in the world was bringing sandwiches and food down to us, and I'm working with a bunch of steel workers, and these guys were just, you know, the, the stereotypical, just monstrous guys, you know, just blue collars that can be. And they're handing out all these sandwiches. These guys are eating it and looking at the sandwiches like, man, this is great. I don't know what it is. And I look at the, the box that the bags came from, and it's from Daniel Belude's restaurant. Yeah. And, like, these guys are eating these, like, olive bread focaccias with pate. And they're like, man, this shit's great. What is this? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, slow down. Slow down eat it. Enjoy it. <laughs> uh, that's and good stuff. Thanks, dude. You got it, brothers. Um, and that's how restaurants in the city were then, too. <sighs> and actually, I feel like calling Daniel right now and saying they need more. And then just grabbing some of those sandwiches. Mm, sounds good. All right, remind me after I drop the gar under here. All right. I don't want it to just keep driving me nuts the whole time. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'll keep an eye on it. Some mouse is going to take off with that. No, that's the old studio. There's no mouses here. You sure? <laughs> yes. All right. I then remember it, specifically. it's been Fez stealing snacks. <laughs> All right, we got Izzy in? Yes. Scratching the horizon, uh, a surfing life. This is Izzy's story. But also go check out surfershealing.org. And for uh, our first responders, at Izzy Passowitz, uh, we're going to go deep into the prize closet and uh, pull something out there. At Izzy Paskowitz, let's uh, bring him in. It's a surfing life, scratching the horizon, the surfing life, Izzy Paskowitz.
Izzy Paskowitz in studio with us, and I'm glad to see you got a tan, man. It's good that you're getting out in the sun a little bit. I look like a surf bum, don't I? I'm Mexican, though. I swear to God, it's supposed to be there. Uh, I was talking about your book before you came in, Scratching the Horizon, A Surfing Life. You lived basically an alternative life than any any of your peers and probably anybody else that I've ever talk, uh, talked to before. Yeah, you know what? It's um, there's a lot of interesting people out there in this world, but uh, you know what we did, what my dad did. I mean, we're just little kids, and taking us on this insane, you know, journey, um, you know, and, and always involving surfing and kind of being healthy and being a tight knit family mm -hmm. was absolutely fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still really just you know every day, you know, a few. You know, seconds when I lay my head on my pillow, I always think about some of the things that we did and the places that we went to and the things that we saw. You know, were amazing. You know, from uh, from going straight from Hawaii, you know, hanging out with just legendary surfers back when uh, uh, Duke Hanamoku was still alive and right. Chubby Mitchell and the the uh, uh, the real like kind of original royalty of surfing to be kind of involved with that as as. Um, you know, my dad being kind of this howly, you know, Polish guy and my mom, this big, tall Mexican, you know, and we kind of just fit in, you know, Hawaii. So from there, he just, he just, I don't know, he just decided that, you know, he wanted to keep his family as close as possible. And I mean, literally, I mean, mm -hmm. living in that camper, but our first stop was Israel and then we lived there for a couple of years, you know, and being, you know, very much, you know, Jewish and, um, and being, uh, um, I mean, my dad was in World War II. I mean, he's mm -hmm. 92 years old. So he wanted to be, you know, kind of that, you know, father and move to Israel and help with the repopulation and all these strapping boys that were going to assist in, uh, you know, the country of Israel until he started seeing, you know, all these boys die and so well uh, I'm going to change my plan and it was always you know he was able to just uh, on a, a, a turn of a key was like that's it alright we're out of here we're moving back to, to yeah. the beach and we're going to live in the camper we're going to travel you know from California down to Cabo you know back in the, in the 70s when there was nothing now, I mean nowadays it's illegal right, you know, somebody right. would find you and throw you in jail or you just have groups of like you <laughs> You know, uh, 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 you know, just, uh, you know, sympathizers and and uh, passive aggressive, you know, weirdos and college kids saying you can't do that. That's you know uncool. That's you know neglecting you know your children and and all that. So, but uh, it was an amazing journey. Well, what he gave his kids is experience. You know, what I mean, there was just there uh, the experiences that you guys had that opened you up to the world and experiences that most people would save money for years and years and years and go have that long weekend or that week yeah. getaway. Yeah, yeah, it was it was constant. But yeah. but with that, you know, the consistency of that, you know, the the, the plan, whatever the experiment my dad had, you know, it was it was it was dangerous and it was uh, you know, full of, you know, excitement and and even danger that we were we were unaware of. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, living in Israel and and my my brother uh, uh, Salvador, we're all out there swimming through some great little waves. You know, my yeah. dad brought the very first surfboard to Israel in the 50s where they confiscated them and said this is must be some like you know, water to land, you know, anti, you know, uh, uh, night submersible or whatever it was. So they drilled holes through it and stuff. But, but yeah, when we were kids, we would, we would, uh, we would, we would 
you know, play around the beach. And, and one day, uh, Sal, being so young, and, and uh, he, he, he screamed and hit a pitch that this attack dog and these two uh, Israeli soldiers are just sitting on the beach getting a tan, uh, attacked Sal, you know, and, and put him underwater. And, uh, you know, you could have been killed. You know, just just kind of wild. It was really like that kind of stuff was going on. Yeah, it was going on yeah. all the time, and we would would walk on the beach and you know find you know shit or find uh, bullets or you know we lived in a ulpan for a little bit like a kibbutz and and uh, me and Jonathan and Abraham went out to one field that uh, had these really cool skull and crossbone signs in red, and I think that meant don't go in there, <laughs> but that was just inviting us to go in there. And Jonathan brought back a landmine, and I had these fifty cal rounds. Abraham had a hand grenade, and they said, Paskowitz, you're fucking out of here. <laughs> so we ended up on the beach. And then my dad had no job. And uh, he says, well, well, you know, I do. I am, I'm credible as a doctor, graduated from Stanford. And I was a lifeguard when I was you know, 16 back in 1936. <laughs> so um, he was a lifeguard. So they, they gave us a couple of armed guards that would come down every day. And this is like, you know, back in the late 60s. You know, there's still war-torn Israel, and you know, we'd sit on the beach when the sun would set and have a fire, and we'd see tracer fire, you know, going up in the sky from from down the beach. So. I guess the well, the Seven Day War was '67, right? So you guys were there right after. Correct. The tensions were. Uh, through the roof. In right. Days. So any any of that, like being so isolated on a beach, and we lived in a tent on the beach, mm-hmm. and the smallest camper we've ever owned, because I mean, we grew up living in campers and traveling around the United States. This was just a tiny little van. So all the boys were out in the tent, and my mom and dad and some of the younger kids were in the uh, in the camper. Were there times, though, that you kids were like, you know, why don't we just get a house and take this bus to school and meet girls and be able to see them, you know, the same kids two weeks later? Did you start to wonder what it was like to live a different kind of lifestyle? Uh, yeah, we, we've said that a couple of times. Yeah. But, but, you know, when you're, when you're in the moment and you're on the road yeah. uh, and you're, you're going to the next, you know, town you've never been to in your life, going to the next state you've never been to, and you keep following these little surf spots, you know, it, it was so exciting. And we did up until, you know, probably I was 10 years old, um, you know, off and on. But we, we did have a house once. <laughs> there was one time when we had a house in San Marcos and I, you know, I finished fifth grade. That was my last full year of school. So the little things that, um, y- you know, I mean, I'd so what? I'd never been to a, a prom. <laughs> Fuck, I wish I would have been to a prom. <laughs> but, you know, so uh, those things, yeah. You know, they, they, they were very unimportant due to the scale of the excitement that, that what we were doing. And it is, uh, I want to talk a little bit too about Surfers uh, Healing. It's surfershealing.org. How did you. Uh, come to the understanding that you did about autism and the surf. Well, uh, you know what? I didn't know shit about autism. Yeah. And I was um, really devastated with the diagnosis of my son. And always, uh, you know, that, that was probably about three years three years old, close to three years old. Isaiah had the kind of like regressing autism where he developed completely normally and had... Um, an, inc- an incredible like language, you know, a vocabulary of maybe 50 words. And, and you know, he was really progressing and connecting, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I knew it was so freaking beautiful. He was, did blonde hair and he had the most beautiful face and I call him Prince because he was just my little Prince. And, uh, oh, fuck, it took me, it took me a decade to get over that, but my wife was right on it and uh, I had always been a surfer. You know, that's mm-hmm. what my dad gave me was, was surfing and I was very good at it. You know, longboarding was my specialty, riding the nine foot boards and, um, 
so, you know, I would take my family, you know, with me to surf contests. We were, so one event in Hawaii when Isaiah's freaking out, you know, and I'm, this is like a world championship. And we were, you know, we got married young. Me and my wife have been married uh, 25 years now. And, and uh, you know, I can see in her face that she's embarrassed. And, you know, Isaiah's just freaking out, screaming and running around. And, and nobody knew what was going on. I mean, I felt so um, like we we're on a different planet, you mm-hmm. know, because having Isaiah, and he was a Martian. So I, I threw him in the water like I was going to fucking drown him. And when he popped up, he was like smiling and he stopped crying. So I think that connection with the water was always, you know, always there. And it was so stupid that it was right under my nose and I never did anything about it. And then after that Hawaii trip, uh, I, um, I bought a big board, a tandem board built for two people, and we would go out all the time when he was just a little guy. I mean, now he's. You're 21 years old, and he's 6'3", and he's 300 pounds, and, you know, but the water and being in the water is an element that um, really is calming. Has any, any like, psychiatrist looked into this, or anybody who's done any kind of brain work, that they know why being in the water, and I think it has to really, there's something about the surf itself, and, you know, because the air is even different there, but do they have any yeah. reason why, because I find it to be a mood changer. Absolutely. I find it to be... Right? Uh, yeah, uh, a place where all of a sudden, like, oh, I didn't even realize I was singing. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, how how's that happened? So, have they figured out what that does for autistic kids? You know, it, it kind of, it's, it's so typical. Everyone wants to just, like, you know, you know discourage or, or say, well, if there isn't any, isn't the numbers, if they can't quantify everything, where's the, right. st- where are the stats? Does this even mean anything? That uh, Brian Gumbel said on this beautiful piece that we did. And, uh, well, the, do they have any 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 proof any, right. any paperwork to do? fuck the paperwork yeah if you can't believe in something or or uh, t- take it on faith that this really worked when doing this for 15 years and i've seen more autistic children than any fucking doctor in the world probably um that you're you're, you're going to discount me just because i don't have a piece of paper that has these numbers i that uh that that shows statistics the water is an absolute healer you know, I mean, it definitely makes you feel good. These kids have sensory issues. And, you know, I, I think my son, I mean, being such a big guy, you know, the water makes him feel weightless. It makes him feel mm-hmm. comfortable. I think he, 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 it calms his frazzled nerves. It's all of that. So we wouldn't be doing this for, for 15 years if it didn't work. I would never dishonor. You know, the, 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 the pain that my son and other children with autism have gone through just by doing this because it is such a rush of love and emotion. And, you know, the, the days at the beach, like yesterday and the day before Belmar, uh, tomorrow is, um, um, uh, Lido Beach mm-hmm. and Long Beach. And then, and then on the 14th is Montauk and Rhode Island are just amazing. I mean, they're enlightening, inspiring, and it gives it gives a lot of hope to young parents that they can do this. If they yeah. can do this, then, then then you know, fuck it. Let's go to breakfast. Let's go to dinner. You know, if, if my son freaks out, we'll try to explain it to the people. If they don't get it, then f you. Right. And, and and you know, and and those guys, I feel it's, it's so senior in the autism world that I don't really. Forgive me if I'm cussing too much. I'm getting okay. a little into it, but um, I, you know, I, I, I forgot all the bad stuff. You know, that that got me in fights. That that you know, that I'm trying to protect my son. But the little things that I remember are like walking into a room and into a bar, and I'm trying to get my son some cold ranch dip because he freaks out if it's too warm. He calls it bubble ranch, and if it's bubble ranch, he's gonna run straight into the street and. He did get hit by a car. Um, you'll read, but uh, these two ladies, oh. 
it's one of God's children. I'm not a religious guy, whatever. It's bar mitzvah and stuff. But there, you know, these wonderful little ladies that just saw through it and it, and, and knew that he was special. And, and I never forget that. You know, little things like that I'll never yeah. forget. You know, walking into Subway today and uh, uh, this uh, um, African-American lady in, uh, comes walking right in front of me and she's got her arm around her son who is six inches taller than her. And he, she's really very protective and, and he's got his uh, hands together and I'm like, oh, I've, I've, I've got a son like that. Mm. You know, and I go, I think he's autistic. And she, goes, and, she, and she said, of course you can tell because we, we all can tell, you know. Yeah. It's, and, and it's nice to have that connection because I feel more like uh, uh, of a kinship with her I mean, just the seconds that I was on on the uh, on the uh, the number one train up here, mm-hmm. then th- then some of my brothers, you know, because they, they, you, you got to get it. And that experience. I'm, I'm not going to force it on anybody. Yeah, that experience can't be changed. And I think it's great because I've s- seen some of the stuff you've done. Is the way that the parents, the fact that the kids are out there with surfers, and the parents are kind of back, it. It gives them a chance to see their kids doing something, too. You know what I mean? To see their kids having those kind of experiences. And to go into it, there's terror sometimes. There's real fear. Absolutely. And you guys run right through it. You just barrel through it, which I think is a gigantic part of the accomplishment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and most of my guys, you know, the North Shore guys and uh, my uh, two Puerto Rican uh, instructors, all the boys from California, like some of them like really know like almost like mixed martial arts move to keep the Mm -hmm. kids on the board. But, you know, the point is, you know, are you going to be one of those parents that you, you... you you protect you know our, yeah. our children you know too much to a point where he, he's going to start to scream and cry and then you're going to say no that's it you know and 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 I've done that this last trip uh, North Carolina a woman followed me in the water and my handler who hands the child to me on the surfboard I lay him down we paddle out we start surfing and riding waves in um, says hey you know this mom wants you to come in and I I I, I turn my back to her and I and I I apologized afterwards but that's her child um, but I took him out and after uh, two or three waves even four waves took him a little more time to calm down and he calmed down and he was because he has to cooperate with me a little bit mm-hmm. so I can stand up and I can stand him up and that that imbalance like you say seeing those children out in the water is incredible I mean to see like you know this 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 poor little spastic child, um, you know, on the beach, he's embarrassing in a crowd of people that aren't associated with autism. But when he's riding that wave, you see those parents watching him. It's, it's like no other experience I will yeah. ever have in my life to be able to share that connection with, uh, some, some of these wonderful people. And it's really, it's our honor. And, and my, my worst word when the parents, you know, thank me and thank my guys, they say thank you. And it's, 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 it's something I can't even accept. You know? Well, what I love in the book is, and you've mentioned a little bit here, is that you admit you weren't ready for this, uh, to be a father in the, w- with these kind of responsibilities. Your wife stepped up before you uh, and started Absolutely. to take it on and recognize it. What was the thing that finally broke through to you? Like, this is life now. This is what we're going to be doing. Uh, you know, I, I think just the, uh, the, the self-pity and the... Like the uh, um you know, you know, being harmful to yourself, and mm-hmm. you know, just whether it's, you know, you're 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 avoiding the inevitable, and it really, I mean, just 
it, it was a point where I just had to get over myself and stop feeling sorry for myself and stop, you know, you know, hiding that while I was drinking here and there too much, hiding that I was staying away when I should have been at home. No, I need to go to another pro surf contest. I, you know, and I hear Isaiah screaming in the background, like, oh, fuck, get me to a bar right away. Um, that, that I was going to break, I was going to break up the family. Right. Not Isaiah, but I was because I couldn't fucking be a man and say, I got to do this. So I finally, you know, and, and, and I'm still a very, very, you know, imperfect human being. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I do my best to do the, what, you know, what my mission in life is. And, and that is the family is first. And w- when, when it is allowed, when I say it's good, which he's been insane for the last, and that's insane good, mm-hmm. for a year. That my, the first time, I swear to God, I've ever seen my son smile. Really, truly smile. And not every picture, you know, which all other autistic families see is like the, the, the can, okay, smile. And it's just the right. teeth are open, the eyes are open, and it's so unnatural. He really smiles from his soul now, and I'm so blessed. So, my wife, uh, Danielle's out there, and she, you know, she lets me come here to be a part of, you know, our larger group or a larger family of uh, of other families and um children with autism you know to share this moment um riding waves with these kids that i i i know it has to continue i know it is so important and i i, I see the way the, the impact the imprint this has on the children because it's so freaking radical mm-hmm. for that moment and we're riding in the from terror to screaming and it's not really the terror it's anxiety and getting over that anxiety and we see past that to riding in is is absolutely beautiful to watch and it's be the same kind of anxiety anyway who's never done it before would have only they express it differently you know what I mean for for anybody to go out the fact that most people don't ride waves right. is because like ah geez I don't know how right. I don't know how to do it I tried it three times it didn't work so you are taking them through the same experiences that anybody else would be going through and for some reason in life we have to accomplish something before we get that feeling uh, right, peacefulness. Right. You yeah, because the, the the kids are not. I mean, we take them out. We really surf. I mean, yeah. we're not just like cruising, you know, in a little right. white water. I mean, some of the guys, you know, uh, uh, Josh Tracy and, and Garrett, some of the waves in, in uh, Rhode Island and uh, not Rhode Island, but uh, New Jersey, we're, we're freaking ten ten feet. And, yeah. and Josh went went out there, and they're riding kids in the tube. I mean, they're such <laughs> experienced surfers, and that was my, you know, my mission was that I wanted these children. To be taken out by royalty, you know, by uh, by all my ex, you know, uh, um, uh, competitors, and they were now we all have children, you know, and they feel blessed that uh, their, you know, children don't have autism. So I've got the most amazing group of volunteers who are, you know, you know past or even current professionals that help me out, and so th- these children are taken out by just royalty, royalty of surfing, and this just keeps rolling, getting bigger and bigger all the time. Yeah, we do about twenty events um, from Hawaii to to the West Coast, Puerto Rico, down to uh, South Carolina, up to Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and up towards like 200, 200 plus children per day. So it's it's monumental. But um, yeah, I, this is what I'm here for. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I, uh, I always quote uh, Tom Walsh, guy who owns a bunch of Burger Kings, or whatever, and I hang out with him in Cabo. Uh, a great philanthropic person, but you know, I read somewhere on the plane, it's like God, it's just so amazing. You know, the, the two most important days in the world are when you're born and why you're born, yeah. and and you know, this is why I was born, and and so it, it, all that in the book is some swashbuckling, crazy stories, right. and you know, like, like, picking up the bomb twice. Um, 
And, but it's, it's written since, you know, I'm a dumb surfer. I've got some great stories that are very unique and I know they're unique, but to have Dan Paisner, who's written so many books, um, and, and so eloquently that I trusted him with my life and it just reads bitchin'. It's a bitchin' reading book. It's really a lot of fun. And I think that the thing about it is the amazing thing is the growth that you get to share once you're open to this is, you know, this is what I'm here for now. And I think everybody needs to get to that point, too, that once you figure out, once you stop battling against it and just start to go with it, some phenomenal things can happen. Absolutely. And there's, there's some great people in this world. You yeah. know, there's some great people that are really, really giving back. And, you know, I think it's that part of it is growing, you know. And, um, yeah, but there's still, you know, the people that will, uh, will try to beat you down and say, what are you doing? You're taking your kids surfing with these, you know, a bunch of pot smoking, right. you know, tattooed, long haired surfers, you know, that just the, just the, dumbness of some pe people but the reality of it is who doesn't want to hang out with those guys <laughs> it's gonna be fun for everybody uh scratching the horizon a surfing life and check out uh surfershealing.org and get involved with it if you can surfershealing.org is he thanks so much man thank you ron it's so great to have you in here and you're a good dude and thanks for everything that you're doing thank you brother see you next time through oh. That was Izzy Paskowitz. Uh, the new book is Scratching the Horizon, A Surfing Life, surfershealing.org. And for you Twitter folks that want to get in on the first responders, we've got, uh, we'll have a cool prize to give out. It's at Izzy Paskowitz, and we will have that up also on the iBank. Um, love him. Just love the guy. That guy was super cool. And I don't know what works or doesn't work out of that thing but i think if you have an autistic kid uh that it's such a tough thing to do that at the very least a day at the beach with some longboarders has got to be <laughs> all right with me it's it's got to be like out of the realm of people's minds who have these autistic kids too you know and that they actually pull it off and these kids are surfing they, they I, must blow their minds you don't watch this stuff up on the internet um because some of this stuff you see the kids go into it and you're like there is no way this kid is going to relax and enjoy this and then something uh breaks over now i do think that there and I've obviously this is not a new thought and I've thought it my whole life that there's some healing thing about being at the shore, <laughs> period. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you get your toes in the sand and you're down at the beach, your mood is going to change. Oh, without a doubt, it's, you're going to feel better. It's so why wouldn't that work on some level with autistic kids? I also love the fact of it is. That here's this kind of laid back, fun guy, and he was open enough that when he found out he had an autistic kid, he blinked and his chick didn't. You know what I mean? Like, no. she was like right into it, like, what do we got to do, blah, blah, blah. 
and he started dodging it until finally he could bring something of his back into the world. Um, because it's a tough thing to pull off if your kid has any problems. I know you don't have this because know this because you don't have kids yet. But you would train anything. It sounds just for your kid not to go through this kind of stuff. Fucking. Um, here's Tom in Boston. You're on the Run of Fish show. Oh, thanks for taking my call, Ron. Yeah. Yeah. Um, back in 2008, we did it with my son, and it was it was just amazing seeing you know him in the water and excuse me <laughs> and uh, you know being happy on that, that surfboard. It was great, and all these guys are so cool and relaxed. It was just a really nice day out. <laughs> Was that the first time you ever did anything like that, Tom? Yeah, yeah, it was. And what what took you what took you there? What what even brought it up where that would be an idea? Uh, it was through um, someone at the Flutie Foundation uh, here in Massachusetts was talking mm-hmm. about it, and my my wife found out it was, it was going on in California, <clears throat> and uh, we went and did it. It was awesome. And what was it like for you to be on the beach though and see this? Kind of take place. Uh, the joy was just amazing, you know. Yeah. Um, these guys, you know, are so patient, and they just—they had such a, a cool attitude. It was a really, uh, you know, calm atmosphere that the autistic kids, you know, really need. And uh, being in the water was just fantastic. When, when you meet a lot of uh, those surfers, there's always like, it's kind of a secular church with them, you know, like, <laughs> they really do feel like the waves, the sun, the, the air it's all part of is it. an important thing. And um, unless, you know, you give them any shit, they're normally really great guys to get along with. <laughs> they <start laughs> yeah, they were. Uh, yeah. I'm glad that you had the experience. I'm glad that uh, it's amazing that you were able to hear um, uh, Izzy uh, step by and, and talk about that. It's uh, surfershealing.org. Thank you so much. Um, right, thank you. We'll have some uh, stuff to do. At Izzy Paskowitz for the first responder. And you could also pick that up on the iBang. Let's go over to uh, a bartender in Pennsylvania. Hey, Ronnie V. Hey, I just had a question. Uh, do you think Izzy could help Fezzi out? Maybe instead of going to a nut hut, we just take him surfing instead. He sounds like he's about the same size as Izzy's kid, so um, I thought that might help out. Well, same thickness, but much, much, Fez is much, much shorter. I did notice that Fez is having a remarkably calm, cold day today. Um, yeah, it's it's very weird. As I get closer to the nut hut... I run this weird gamut of I'm scared to death to go get locked in or I'm thrilled that I'm going to get help. What if you just got on a surfboard? I had told you before. I think it. You say that, but I told you before that if you get a couple of accomplishments, if you do some stuff that you don't normally do, that's how you build confidence. Like when he fucking did Thanksgiving dinner. He felt great about himself. When he did that, no, here's what always happens to Fez. He, then he stopped cooking <sighs> after that. Like you could take him to that one point and then he doesn't want to uh, do it anymore. He just wants to uh, do it uh, that one time. Matt, you're on the run of Fez show. Yeah, Matt. Oh, hey, Ronnie. Sound like a million bucks, man. Um, 
Yeah, grew up, uh, I've lived in the States now about eight years. I grew up in New Zealand and uh, I used to grow up in the South Island of New Zealand, driving around with uh, my old man to all the surf spots. He was a big surfer, man. And um, but growing up, we uh, were down way down south and I have burns all over my body. I had a really bad accident when I was little and my old man's first reaction was to take me into the fucking ocean rather than to take me to a hospital. <laughs> so they just, uh, he's always been a huge believer in a man, and it's uh, spot on. I, I love the interview, man. Oh, I appreciate it. Um, his book, you'll probably get a kick out of. His father's still alive, 92 years old. Shit. Doc Paskowitz, who uh, took his kids on an adventure <laughs> instead of having a childhood. That sounds a lot better. Um, they are Jewish and Mexican-American <laughs> surf family. Uh, and then they fall into the stuff of working with autism, kids with autism. All because, um, you know, Izzy had this kid who was autistic. But here's the other side of that, which is really weird. And he's sitting around talking about, like some of the great feelings that he gets about uh, of this and how great it's been and how it's changed his life and now and I think we all agree that he actually means that imagine if he didn't have the autistic kid there's no way that he would have no, none of that would thought have of this or taken it on just with a professional surfer that's it so there are so many times in life that you think something is bad and it turns out to be Amazing. Fantastic. Just like in life when you think something is good, and you hear this from people who hit the lottery, and they will tell you, hitting the lottery is the worst thing right. that happened to me. My family turned on me. No more friends. Yeah, no, my friends turned on me. It suddenly brought all these negative people that were swindling me Jesus. into my life. Um, you know, I got my... Uh, you know, got off the, the rails with my family and drugs and all, whatever it happens to be. But sometimes um, you cannot uh, believe how things can turn around for you. Uh, for the first responders, it's at Izzy Paskowitz. At Izzy Paskowitz. I know that's a tough... Um, thing to be able to spell so uh go over to the ibang on that twitter we'll have it up for you i z z y paskowitz uh the book uh, is called scratching the horizon a surfing life i can't believe he ended up in fucking israel in the late 60s that's just fucking nuts nine of them in the, you know, <laughs> nine. nine kids um they actually ate way different than anyone that you've ever known. Their parents were, they basically had some kind of gruel for breakfast every day that had all the grains. Like and Big Brother slop? Yeah, it, it did seem like that. Um, they never, there wasn't a lot of food for two reasons. One, that the old man didn't believe in it. And two is, you know, they were on a budget. Broke. Yeah. And this guy was a doctor. But... This is the fucking life, though. I mean, that's the life to live. This it fucking... is, and yet, at the same time, it's um, uh, just the opposite as well. You know what I mean? Like, I wanted to bring up to him, like, did you ever, you know, want to get out of it? Yeah, there were times he did. Uh, Gary, you're on the Run of Fez show. Oh, yeah, Ron. Uh, once again, another uh, great interview. I really enjoyed it. Um, 
you know, when I listen to you speak to these guys and, and the, the motivational tone of their, of their, you know, talk gets me inspired. And I wonder, does Fezzi listen to, you know, these interviews? Does he pay attention? Does he pick up any of this, you know, this great motivational talk these people give? I mean, geez, I would do, I'd go crazy sitting there listening to this, how motivated I get. Well, I'll let fans answer that, but sometimes you feel like there's a filter in between you and the rest of the world, right? Oh, yeah, where it's, I feel like it's everyone else is living like uh, some sort of life that I'm just not in on. Why not, though? I, it, because it's just it's the perception and getting stuck in my own head of thinking everybody else has their shit together. But he even just admit it, he doesn't. Yeah. Just the opposite of having your shit together. Having your shit together is not the point of any of this stuff. It just doesn't happen. And if it does happen, it's just going to be for a little while. But it's about being in it. I even see now that it's got you all kind of looking upset. and. Yeah, I just, yeah. It just switched me out. I mean, I am, you know, I am motivated you to, to fix surf? myself. Let's surf. Let's put you in the water. Let's Come on. put you out there with Izzy. You're going to live on the road. You're going to leave here. You're going out to Long Island. You're going to Long Beach. Port Island. You take that out to uh, Montauk, oh, and yeah. then you... Paddleboard across to Rhode Island. Okay. This is awesome. And we're paddleboarding out in the Atlantic to Rhode Island. It's not that far. No, man. You go through the Long Island uh, Sound there. It's small. We're out. What not is that far keeping from New York. you from seriously just following the sun, dude? The way you've always dreamed, just to get that board and follow the sun. See, that's uh, that's the problem. I've never had a dream of surfing. Um, let's go over here to Win in Louisiana. You're on the Run of Fed show. Hey there. Uh, that was a great interview that you guys did with Izzy. Um, having a son with autism and means a lot for these guys to get out and talk to the rest of the people about it. Um, I did want to ask him. I didn't have a chance living down here. We're not really close to any beaches or anything. We go to the lake and stuff, and my kid does. We'll just sit in the lake forever. Do they ever want to come down south and, and do something down here? I don't know. Well, they'll travel around. Why don't you ch you contact them? at uh, surfershealing.org uh, surfershealing.org uh, and just check into it but it might be a good idea for you to road trip to the ocean yeah. with him since he already loves the uh, water but That's I, a good idea. I was curious about the autism thing with you how much has your life changed since you found this out about your kid a ton. Yeah. Um, I was 20 when my son Jack was born, and we found out about the same time, you know, around two and a half or three. So I was a young kid, kind of like Izzy, kind of a little wild. And uh, I'm, I, you know, me and my first wife got divorced because of it. You know, I'm remarried now, but he stays, lives with us doing the 50 50 thing. So it, it, it takes a toll on a family, no doubt yeah. about it. It is, uh, it's tough, and then that becomes life. That yeah, becomes what your life is. Exactly. And uh, we've done, he's, he's actually made tons of strides. You know, autism, the spectrum is way different. Every kid is, is way different. That's the thing about it. You know, that's why it's sometimes hard to get a handle on it. But uh, 
he, we've made giant leaps with him, and he does. That's, that's true about the water. We do horses, too, down here, some, too. You know, that's another thing that, that is calming to kids with autism. Isn't that, that interesting, man? That if they get up uh-huh. on a horse, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a common it's amazing. thing. You know, you've got to figure there's got to be some breakthroughs in the future. But, you know, now uh, you hear of more and more people more and more kids born with some kind of form of autism maybe not as completely gone and weren't you even checked for that fez yeah for the asperger's which is uh uh somewhere on the autism spectrum and you don't have it no the psychiatrist said no i can tell you that you don't have asperger's you wanted it though I was you like, would look into it a lot yeah i lo- well i took an online quiz where i scored huge as uh having it And then I thought, well, if that could explain some things and I could start getting treated for that, then that would help fix uh, some problems. Um, Here's uh, Dennis. Dennis, you're on the wrong first show. Hey, Ronnie. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to say that, you know, Fez mentioning having his shit together and everything. I've met a few people that have their shit together in my life, and I find them to be really, really boring people. Uh... They don't want to do anything exciting because they got their shit together. I think people's little quirks and weirdness and things that make them them is what is great about them. That's what makes you interesting. I agree a hundred percent, man. Because I would all I'm always more interested in the freaks. I think find your own freak, find what's weird about you, and go for it. That whole thing of the conformity. Nothing could be duller. Get weird, and it couldn't be any more suppressive. You know, just suppressing it, suppressing it, to, instead of just fucking. And that fucks you up. That, that fucks you up. Yeah. I get fucking crazy, dude. Stop saying crazy around Fez. Why? Because that word scares him right now. All right. He's afraid they're going to put a crazy stamp on him. Oh no, like dude! You got to get your board wet, man. You got to get in the ocean. Does he go? Just store? fucking get in the green room. And just relax in there. Getting that fucking curl. What's the green room? Exactly. Oh, man. Exactly, dude. Look what you're already. 61 years old, still don't understand the surf. I'm. That's damn old. Much younger than 61. How much? I'm just curious when I look how <laughs> white that beard is. Just seriously. That happened prematurely. No, no, then why do you keep it? Because coloring it looks crazy. Why not shave it? How many times have we told you in your world the Kenny Rogers look is not what they're looking for? You do not. <laughs> Seriously, you look like fucking Lucille, like you're going to start singing Lucille. You got to get out there, dude. Um, let's go over here, a young gentleman calling from California. And that's your dream, right, Hicks? To God's get Cali. Your California dream in every single day. All the time. Um, and his uh, name it. You got to take your thumb off line one. Thanks in there. Take your thumb off that line. There you go. Here's Rocky in California. Yeah, and kind of going along with what you guys are talking about, uh, I took this executive leadership class, uh, you know, for like... Um, executives uh, a couple of years ago and uh, one of the things they brought up is like in fortune 500 com- companies like the vast 
a large percentage of uh, the executives are people that have handicapped brothers, sisters, or have had deaths in families have gone through huge tragedies because uh, these people tend to end up in higher positions because they're driven that way. Um, so they tend to use these sort of things, um, quirks or whatever, or tragedies in their lives to really become stronger. But the, you know, that's an odd, not a coincidence. It just happens to be that way. Yeah, that's that's Fez. That's the way he is. You know, the old thing of, and then what happens is what you do with it. When I look over at Fez and I'm like, I see what you've accomplished through your work with SurfersHealing.org, the way you were out on the streets getting gay marriage passed, even now you're the work that you've been doing. In Florida, killing it. getting the vote out. And I say he is a guy who wants to take life by the reins. What is it about you, Fezzi? When did you start grabbing the reins like this? Uh, I haven't grabbed any of those reins, Ron. I'm, I'm just saying it now. So if you could imagine what it would be like if you really did do the things that I'm complimenting on, all the things that we told you to jump into. What if you would have actually done them? You'd be sitting here all proud right now. Hell yeah, throwing it in our fucking faces. Like, listen, I served some fucking waves. Um, here's uh, Sam. Sam, you're on the run of show. <laughs> hey, guys, how's it going? Good. Listen, Fez makes me laugh. He must be the only person in history disappointed that he doesn't have autism. I've never heard of that in my life. I will tell you this, <laughs> Sam, and this is a shoot. He was crushed he didn't have autism. Oh, my he God. He was devastated he didn't have autism. I thought for he, sure that was it. You wanted the excuse. You wanted the excuses. Here's why I can't do it. This is why I can't do it. I was talking with... Uh, Izzy about surfers healing and by the way if you get the opportunity look at some of the videos online uh, and their website surfershealing.org I've worked out something where I'm taking Rob Cross out there and putting him in the water and trying to remind him he's one of us not one of those suits and the whole time we're surfing I'm like you're not a suit dude you're a t-shirt you're a t-shirt, not a suit. Accept it. Steve Bladder, it wouldn't matter if I got him in the biggest wave that ever happened. Suit for life. Yeah, he's a suit for life. SFL. Uh, Hicks, there's no reason to even take you. <laughs> You'll never have it. Could you even tie a tie? I can tie a tie, yeah. That's surprised. Oh, yeah, court. I forgot yep. how oh, much you went to court. I've been to three weddings and about six or seven court appearances. <laughs> so, the court appearances happen first. You don't have to be like them, Rob. You can ride this wave. Um, Frank, you're on the run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie, one time you tried to get Fezzy to go skiing. Is, is surfing kind of the same metaphor? It, the metaphor would just be to do something. To do something and come back and say, look what I did. Look what I experienced. It doesn't matter what he did. Just get it done. It doesn't matter. Do it. Even when I tried to get him to go to a different gay bar than the one that he struck out at, his that he knows where his booth is, and he sits next to the lesbians, and he w watches the Bucks thing, go out to some other ones. Get it on. Or go to a straight bar, watch the game there, get fired up, then go out to his gay bar after the fact. Oh, wow. But put his autistic muscles to work. To accomplish. 
Uh, we're going to finally uh, break here. It's almost 1 o'clock, and Hicks is way behind on his breaks. Uh, I, I need to take some breaks. Um, we may have another guest coming up today? Yes. What time is that? One forty-five. See, this is why I want to get in the break world now. There's something... Uh, why am I looking at this? That's not the paper I want. That's just craziness. Um, one last time, though, at Izzy Paskowitz. When we get back right now, we'll uh, do the giveaway. At Izzy Paskowitz. Uh, back in just a couple of moments. First responders, stay on top of it. It's the Run of Fest Show.
It's the Ron Fez Show on 9-11-12. Before you panic, it's 9-11-12, not 9-11-01. Uh, Fez Wiley, big, big story in your WWE world last night. Jerry, the King Lawler, uh, I guess passed out or had some kind of episode, whether a stroke or heart attack uh, during last night's event. And the Twitter world was abuzz with get get well soon jerry yeah this happened during last night's raw uh jerry lawler collapsed at the broadcast desk uh about a match after he had just wrestled a tag team match well he's a little old for that how old is he he's 62 yeah probably should stop wrestling <laughs> so and then he was uh he quit obviously quit announcing they did another match then michael cole uh, the play-by-play guy eventually announced that Jerry Lawler had been taken away, f- uh, taken backstage at the arena and was being given CPR. I still think this is a WWE work. I think there was just too many but convenient they, things. Didn't they go out of their way to say it is not a uh, part of the show? Yeah, Michael Cole announced several times this is not part of tonight's entertainment. It, wouldn't that be stepping outside the lines if you were to do that, though? I I, th- I think that there has to be some kind of thing just so, um, you know, people don't boo or throw stuff if, if an actual injury happens. I think that they should say there should be some kind of kayfabe that they actually break <laughs> and say, look, this is a real emergency. Now, the people that were there claims that it was, though, that the people who were up close said that th- those were real guys going to real work on him. It wasn't the kind of staged guys that they run in with. Well, from my vantage point, a lot of things just seem really convenient. Mm-hmm. Like, Raw is three hours now, and this ran like a three-act play. He wrestled in the first hour, he collapsed in the second hour, and in the third hour, they were giving updates. And I've had heart attacks, and I've been in the hospital... You don't get updates that quickly. What kind of updates? All within an hour. They said they were getting ready to do a CAT scan on him. I've had three heart attacks. I've never had a CAT scan done on my chest. Um, maybe it's not. Maybe they weren't sure it was just a heart attack, though. Well, they said he was having one done on his chest and his head. Yeah, maybe they thought it was a stroke. So, and also they were talking about uh, things where he was reacting to the light and he was in stabilized condition. It's hard for me to imagine that someone who had a massive heart attack like this, enough to knock you unconscious and you actually, your heart quits beating, that they're going to have you stabilized all within an hour before the show ends and that announcement gets out there. That. That the hospital would get together would be so right away. You smelled, you smelled something wrong. Yeah, yeah. So what would they gain from doing something like making an announcement of a real heart attack? Here's what they've been doing with Lawler over the past few weeks. They're trying to turn CM Punk heel against John Cena. Well. 50-50, people boo John Cena as much as cheer him. So it's hard to make Punk a heel. So they've had him beating up Jerry Lawler for two weeks now before last night. And now if Lawler collapses, he's so beloved that after fighting... Oh, I didn't know he was that beloved. Oh, yeah. It's been so long since I watched, he wasn't overly beloved. Yeah, they they just chant, Jerry, Jerry. 
Uh, Jerry, Jerry, all right. Jerry. All right, well, here's a little one. <laughs> so if he has a heart attack... For anybody who knows the live Jerry Lee uh, Lewis, um, that's what I was doing. Yeah, you keep yelling, Jerry, or Jerry. The, the one in Germany? Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking great. That's awesome. And then he's like, the Jerry, and he's like, yeah, Jerry, <laughs> Jerry. Um, I just would think, Fez, that it's crossing a line to say this is a real heart attack. That if it's not... I mean, if they are faking this, then no one should ever believe anything that they ever say. <laughs> because it's really not... It seems to be outside the rules a little bit. Lucas, you're on the Run of Fez show. Ron, how are you? Hey, yeah. uh, many things have been said on this show over the years that have angered me, but nothing as much as what Fez just said about the WWE using this as a storyline. There's no storyline when a 62-year-old guy, what do they want him to do, come back and sell merchandise? The man's in the hospital this morning fighting for his life, and this fucking asshole sits here who talks for 10 minutes out of the day and comes up with this crap. It's bullshit, Fez. You're, you're out of oh, your I'm mind. I'm sorry. I told you, you that wrestling of... may be fake. I'm sorry. There's a you're difference between mind. wrestling's you're fake out, and... You're out of your mind to say that somebody... about I hope the heart next attack. time you have a fucking heart attack, people say the same thing, you faggot. All right. See, um, there's your argument. No, nice work. But, I mean, the point is, at some point, which side do you want to err on? Uh, obviously, he's... Uh, well, look, if the wrestling guys are faking something and people don't believe them, you know, they've done enough to, <laughs> you know, say that. I see no reason... I don't know what would move things along. I, I would agree with him. How would this help for Lawler to uh, um, fake that? But I don't know. I don't know enough about it. Here's Bill in New Jersey. You're on running Fez. Hey, how's it going, fellas? Yeah. Um, I guess this guy called the F word. work because, um, you know, it's, it is wrestling. But two things. Number one, they didn't show it on camera or address it as it's happening. And if it's a work to get CM Punk over as a bad guy, how come when he came out later in the night, he wasn't like, oh, I'm happy Waller is having a heart attack and dying. Like, when See what I did. Yeah, I, you know, the way that the news went out, Fez, and I know very little about it, I wasn't following it, but it seemed like all the wrestling publications were saying this is real. Um, and thoughts and prayers with Jerry Lawler. As a matter of fact, so far, you're the only person... That I've heard say it's a, a storyline. Wow. I was going to say that has stooped so low, but I didn't want you to think I was with the guy who... Um, it's the WWE. It's Vince McMahon. I think it at least has to be questioned. Why? Why not? You don't even have to bring it up at all. I don't know anything about it. Hicks does it. I didn't know what You could have just let it fucking dangle. Really like and just... Hard. Yeah. Well... He's been around forever. I do think sixty-two. You got to be a little careful with the with the wrestling stuff. Um, Adam, you're on the Run of Fest show. Um, yeah, there's been a couple instances where uh, they, you know, what Fez is saying. There's been a couple instances where they like, oh my god, he's really hurt, and then they have uh, they have like, you know, they're hauling him off in a gurney, and then you know, Undertaker hits him again on the way to the ambulance or something, you know, stuff like that. But they they would film it if it was a work. They would actually film it, like you know what I mean. None of this like, stuff was they... part of any kind of uh, programming. 
Um, no, is, that's why I thought it was like they're really going out of their way to make this look as real as possible. Mark, you're on the Run of Fez show. What's up, buddies? Yeah. Fez, I'm really shocked at you because how long you've been watching wrestling that you don't realize that this was a real incident. I mean, you just look at the, the totality of the facts. The guy had a freaking heart attack on air. You can see him in one of the shots when uh, they cut one. You can see the announcers in the background. You could see him with his head down and the trainers by him. It absolutely was not fake. Maybe, maybe Fez color. didn't get to see it. I think Fez is jealous that Jerry Lawler had a heart attack and was able to continue did, working. Did you not get to see it, Fez? I, did, I watched Raw last night. I didn't see the shot of Lawler with his head uh, down and the uh, everyone working on him. But that's, a lot of that would have happened if it was a shoot or a work. It seems like you uh, may have jumped the gun a little bit on this, and I know nothing about it. All I know is the Twitterverse was a buzz oh. with everyone saying... It is real thoughts and prayers. I hope he gets um, better. Blah blah blah. So I don't know anything about it. George, you're on the Run of Fez show. Yo, what's up, buddies? Um, you know, I agree with Fez a little bit, man. And I'm just kind of shocked that guys would get on the phone, call in, and fucking call him a faggot and wishes that he would die. Basically, why the fuck no, are grown that. ass men? Yeah. Watching wrestling in the fucking first place. I mean, there's football games on last night. Well, I am kind of. I, I would be up? surprised about the same thing. Three hours of wrestling up against six hours of football. Yeah, it seems insane to me. The Raiders fucking Chargers game wasn't that good though. Oh, was that <laughs> fucking shit? <laughs> I guess there's one player on the fucking Raiders team, that's Darren McFadden, and he's going to get hurt in the second game. Literally, that's the only person who was getting any yards whatsoever. Um, they're fucked. And it's weird because they're playing at home. They have those fired up fans. Just fucking maniacs. And look how little they get back for it. <laughs> fucking back up, whatever. Uh, Stomp, you're on the Run of Fez show. Here's a question. I don't watch wrestling. I'm a grown-ass man. But the question is, were the paramedics regular-sized people, or were they giant wrestler-looking guys? That's how you can tell if it's a work or not. The, the, uh, from what I understand from everybody that was there in tweeting, that it was a real team of paramedics that they had. And they were also saying that, you know, obviously most people don't have paramedics sitting around when they have their heart attack. So it worked out, you know, to his advantage. Um, Fez has taken this into uh, a different way of looking at this, uh, basically saying um, totally faked. I'm I'm surprised. I mean, I've seen. I'm surprised. I I've thought. seen the gimmick before. Shot. They did it with Fritz von Erich, where he grabbed his chest, collapsed, and they told everyone he had suffered a heart attack, and none of it was true. Why'd they do that? <sighs> um, here's Cigars and Scott. You're on the Run of Fez show. Now, it's definitely legit. Uh, mainly, at first, it happened off camera, but the other thing, the, uh, the reports from ringside was that he was snoring. And if you know, someone faking a heart attack wouldn't go into, like, a heavy snore. That's someone that's very deeply unconscious. Uh, a lot of times, you'll see that also with, like, uh, a bleed, you know, like a brain bleed or something, too. Like, I'll see patients come in like that. 
you have someone unconscious, unarousable, snoring heavily, could be like a massive cardiac, you know, arrest or, you know, basically a brain bleed, aneurysm, something like that. But yeah, definitely legit though. I had never heard that before. Yeah, that kind of I never heard out. that. The muscles in your airway completely relax. It's like when you drink a lot, you snore heavy, heavier. Yeah. Oh, your whole he throat does. and muscles relax, and that's that's why he was he was snoring like that. All oh, right, fuck. so, um, and I knew nothing about this. If I had, I probably would have stopped Fez from stepping into this. I just make because um, I find nothing worse than somebody that actually had something happen to them and being called fake. The liar. Um, because I called someone a faker before um, when they were raped. Oh. And now I realize, because I knew yeah. Jerry Sandusky so well that I'm like, what? don't come in here, you little fucking freaks, you, and try to ruin a perfectly good program. You're on Sandusky's side. We all were. That's awful. All he was the Penn a, State he, and the alumni was. You're from Penn State. You, yeah, right I'm from Pennsylvania. Fuck a little State. Little uh, I, I didn't know you were from the college. The I used alumni. to deal speed up there. All right. That's not and really. also the University of Delaware, Westchester College. <laughs> well, you're very accredited. Shippensburg, I just managed to drop off some stuff at Slippery Rock. I ran in with a fucking package. Um... If it's if kids need help studying, I'm going to be there for them. <laughs> but thank you Big for fucking you. challenging me, Fez Junior. You effing f. <laughs> what? I want to do an Izzy Paskowitz uh, winner um, for the first responders, and I'm just going to grab John at doing happy hour. John at doing happy hour. That's it. Actually, this is what he wrote to Izzy that's so nice. Uh, thanks for reminding me about what's important and how to keep my priorities straight, Izzy. That's something Fez could learn from. You know, we went in from Fez is going to be the all-new Fez. He's killing it on the to board. To now uh, accusing a very ill man. Of faking. Of faking. For a fucking paycheck. Saying he had a That's heart. what he does for a living. All right. He fakes things for he's a paycheck. Not, look, he's... He, you can say that about every every actor. Oh, you're a faker. But then, if Clint Eastwood has a heart attack, there he goes again. You fucking outlaw Josie Wales. Look at this fucking work. Come on, dude. Fucking dirty Harry. Come on, dude. Come on. Come on, dude. Come on. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> um. Steve, you're on the Run of Fest show. Uh, let me move on. Um, let's go to uh, Bob Baltimore. Bob, you're on running Fez. Hey, Fezzy, I know how you can figure it out. If you really did have a heart attack, go visit him in the hospital. Take him to Sports Illustrated and a Wrestling Illustrated. I don't have a passport. A passport? He's in Montreal. You need a passport to get in the fucking Canada now? Yeah, you do. Fuck that. Yeah, you do. Just jump the border. I mean, they can't protect all of if it. If you're flying, you should have a passport always now. That's weird. You can't get a passport because you're wanted for a couple of things. <laughs> uh, here's Josh in New York. You're running Fez. 
Josh, whoops, hold on. Go ahead, Josh. Man, this is There's a problem with this line. Go ahead, Josh. You guys got me? Yeah, there you are, pal. Sorry. Uh, so Lawler's girlfriend said that uh, he is going into surgery this morning, and Smith Hart posted online that he was pronounced clinically dead for like 20 minutes backstage. Fezzi, this was real. Well, um, I've also heard that Smith Hart can't be trusted. And this oh, was another thing. This was another thing with the family, with his girlfriend. No. I I found who, it, who can't be trusted? Smith Hart. Who's this? It's one of the Hart family, one of Bret Hart's family. Whose brother died. Broke his neck. At a wrestling event, and you're saying... He can't be trusted. But I, I'm glad he brought... Why, why won't you just answer the, the, uh, the irony of what you're saying there? Well, I mean, Hart Smith would want the WWE looking as bad as possible. Hmm. So Why would they look bad? They actually saved his life. They saved Lawler's life. If, they were to, if he was talking about uh, the WWE killing more wrestlers. Well, they killed from him. He had a heart attack. Yeah. I would be like your heart attack being blamed on your 10 minutes of airtime every day. No one is going to do that. Although, we got Rob pushing me to add another minute and a half. He wants Fez to do 11.30. And I'm like, you're ripping the man's fucking heart out of his chest. You feel good about that, huh? Why don't you get back in that surf? Well, I forgot about Yeah, he was going to surf. <laughs> Tandem board. Come on, you're with me, buddy. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, Mike, you're on Ronnie Fez. Hey, Ronnie B. Yeah. Hey. Uh, you know, don't feel so bad about calling, uh, you know, Fez calling Lawler a faker. Is, is he really going to break K-Fob? I mean, he's, he's a hard sell, man. First of all, it's K-Fabe, not K-Fob, you fucking effeminate bastard. <laughs> Um, let's go over to, uh, Kevin in Minnesota. You're on Fez. Hey, Ronnie. How you doing? Yeah. Did you know you had a, uh, a guy in the 3 o'clock snack yesterday? You know what? I didn't even get to see the 3 o'clock snack yesterday because of the meltdown, the GoDaddy uh, meltdown. Tried, what what number? Back on it, uh, line two. It's number two or three. It's a dark hair, long dark hair. Got his hand thrown up over his head. All right. Let's say two... Uh, hands over his head. Now, he may be taking Please click it. You're driving me nuts. Two, three, or two, two, he said. That, uh, that's... That's a dude? No. That's a guy. Look at that big old meat hook he's got hanging over his head. That's a dude's hand. I don't know. I don't think so, dude. I think it's just, uh, like, a fucking impoverished yeah. Yeah. Eastern European girl. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't know. Looking pretty think so. shaky to me, but... And then there are little breasts there, and if you would have had to at least have some kind of look to of enhancing those breasts, and I don't say it. I'll let Fez, because he's openly gay. Yeah, that's that's not a guy. That's a woman. That's a man, man. <laughs> Would you masturbate to this woman? I wouldn't mind doing a three o'clock uh, snack called Find the Tranny. Would you be into that, Fez? Oh, sure. Great. Yeah. We'll have torches, pick forts. Okay, we'll give a fucking And we'll hunt just run down. down through. Fez Watley's Find the Tranny. Yeah. Find the Tranny. Let's find them and get them. 
Um, Grant, you're on Ronnie Fez show. Hey, Ronnie. I could have really used that package up in Millersville. Need some help studying up there. Well, it's a little bit of a teacher's college, but I did actually do some four-way in Millersville one time. It was only there for um, one party, and it was... It was pretty shaky. Pretty <laughs> yeah, shaky got, fucking night. She got weird. Yeah, yeah, you don't want. You ever notice this? Sometimes you don't want to be around too many trees. It'll freak you out. You stare at them, they'll fucking just start like coming in at you. Yeah, we start calling them tree people. Oh and fucking, God. you know, at first start like a joke, like here comes the tree people. And then it turned. And then, yeah. <laughs> then some people, you know, let loose a little more than they should have. Holy you shit. You know, I believe in the old. When uh, I think the trip brain should be 38 special. You got to hold on loosely. You know? <laughs> That's my own personal fucking feeling. All right. Um, we'll take one more call, and then we got to move on. And uh, we'll find out, I guess, as the days go by, whether uh, Fez is right or wrong about this. Quite frankly, I would have rather erred on the side of believing somebody when they were sick. But that's me. I'm old school. Classy. Come on. Fez goes in a different direction. He goes through the celebrity trash. He finds out whatever he can. He breaks stories. Trying to find liars. Um, uh, trying to find the liar, the lies the liars lie about, and the liars who lie about it. Um, Gary, you're on the run of Fez show. Gary. Lost you. I'll do one more then. Joe Maine. Yes. Hey, this is Joe from Maine. My cousin works at the Montreal Hospital. I told you, screen caller is the actual name of it, but he doesn't want to air it. But I just well, you called don't want to, to fucking you know. air it, do you, dude? Dana? Well, I, I just uh, called to let you know that Jerry Lawler is actually in the hospital. My cousin works in that hospital and uh, knows that it's real. <sighs> That's well, look, I mean, we'll Fez see. is never going to apologize, so I'm going to say this. On behalf of the Ron and Fez show, uh, the opening and Anthony channel, um, Sirius XM Broadcasting, as well as the Broadcasting Union of North America, I would like to deeply apologize for some of the things that Fez Todd Watley had to say on the show today and say that he is going to be reprimanded. As of right now, his direct superior is surfing and hopefully repairing himself as he surfs. <laughs> um, tandem surfing, but it's still surfing. Yeah, he's in the water, right? Someone else is surfing and just letting him hold on to the front of the board. The point is this. Hopefully he works all this shit out. We did not know this was going to happen. This came out of nowhere. We apologize. I feel kind of bad. I've watched a lot of wrestling in my life. Um, the man had a heart attack. I'm going to send Chris Stanley something that I still haven't heard back from. Okay. I've waited for it all last night. It's about scheduling things. And, you know, with Fez going away in a nut hut, I hate to tell you this. You need to stay sober a little bit and keep your mind in this fucking game. Listen, my mind's always in the fucking game. Like I don't know what's beam. between you and the Paddywan, but the scheduling thing seems to be a problem. 
He wants you to call him. Okay. Leeds. <laughs> Leeds doesn't understand. <laughs> Give him an email. Run out and see if I he know. needs to talk to you now. And I guarantee you it has nothing to do with today's show. Oh, no. No. And he went the other way. Someone just said to Chris, hi, nice hair <laughs> in the hall. Well, it is very nice hair, but it's not usually something that gets commented on. Uh, well, it does get commented, but I think that you should know someone a while before you comment on their looks. Were you surprised uh, so many people put you in the bucket over your opinions? Yeah, because, you know... Anything to do with today's show? Not today's show, but good news. All right, write it down for me. Yeah, I was surprised. Write it right here. Because I no longer want to talk to you. I got Chris back, and he's writing stuff down for me. Stop talking about how surprised you are or whatever. This ain't a fucking third graders party. What is this, the Bible you're writing to me right now? So, so I'm trying to write neater. Um, sweets. Yeah. Sweet soul music, I like to say. Now, I want to ask you something. There is a Greek Orthodox church in Queens that they said has been dodging taxes for the last five years <laughs> on their discount store. They own a discount <laughs> store. Um, does that kind of stuff drive you crazy? I think I mean, it's the nuts. fact that the only people who don't have to pay taxes are the churches, and then they work an angle where they can start selling discount stuff. How can we get over even more? We need to make more money, because this isn't fucking paying for itself, people. You ever been inside an Orthodox church? Yeah, I've been. Yeah, yeah. Gaudy. I yes, mean, it looks crazy. Catholics, they Catholics are they go too far, but the Greek Orthodox, <laughs> there it's almost like an old fashioned Bennigan's where there's just stuff <laughs> hanging all over the place. It's fucking. Have you ever hysterical. been in one, Fez? Uh, no, I've never been in. You've a never walked in. It's like walking inside of a Christmas tree. If Christmas tree had a lot of super stuff inside, but it's really bright and crazy. Where are you guys on the churches not paying taxes? I uh, say pay some taxes. Pay, you pay say the ta some. Pay the taxes. But I mean across the board, not just this one. Should churches have to pay taxes on the money that they raise? Yes or no? Yes. No to complete the separation of church and state, which was the fucking big thing that started in this country. I I see, that is the purpose of it. So, Fez, why don't you believe in the separation between church and state? Because I think some of them uh, operate as such a business and they get involved in political things that they're supposed to stay at. They get to cross the line between church and state. Their, their direction. Right. But uh, the state doesn't get to cross it with them. I don't see because where it's a fair deal. Here's the reason why I believe. I think it's more dangerous for the state to cross into the church. I think that the, the scariest thing that you could possibly have is what England had, which was the old state-run church, where the head of the church was the king. That's fucking nuts. That's, that's, that and that's crazy. what we lined up against. But also, when you're saying you don't want them to act political, then we wouldn't have had a Martin Luther King. You know what I mean? Like... There are plenty of political acts 
that churches have done from the beginning to help poor people. Um, I think everybody has a problem with rich churches. But if you take a look around, most churches are really poor. Uh, Most churches are pretty broke. And you would probably run them out of business if you said uh, what always gets me about a church is uh, you're only available three hours a week right uh-huh. why do you need a building I never got the fact of why the building and the upkeep of that was so important to them sure. why don't you just get a meeting room once a week they want to have a show of force they want to be in the fucking community and show that they're fucking around uh, here's Howard in Tennessee you're on Renefez yeah, all churches ought to pay taxes. You look at the benefits they receive, you look at the preachers, how they live, and all that. Yeah, churches ought to pay taxes. Now, I will agree with the richer churches that I look over, and it looks like uh, some of them are living way too well on it. Um, but across the board, I don't think that that's true. And I think what Hicks said, um, his initial thing, is do we still need that separation between church and state. And I absolutely do. Let's suppose, would you be comfortable with uh, all of a sudden an IRS going after the kind of churches that Martin Luther King was with? You know what I mean? Uh If you had a Nixon versus a Martin Luther King, do you (laughs) want to sit around and see those churches getting... The thumb put to them. I think it's a very dangerous uh, proposition. Um, here is Nick. Nick, you're on the Run of Fest show. Yeah, good afternoon, boys. Ron, I think churches should pay taxes in direct correlation to how much they redistribute to people. Whatever amount they give away in charity shouldn't be taxable, but whatever else should be taxable. Well, how are you still going to even talk about charity? Because they're going to claim that most of everything that they do outside of... Upkeep? Well, not even just upkeep, but I'm going to say salaries. Like, the minister, if he makes money, he pays taxes on it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, that money that they pay in payroll is taxed. They also pay a property tax, correct? Mm-hmm. So what they don't pay is that the income coming in. It's the only thing that they're not paying, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The donation, you know, well, well I mean, they live off of offerings, obviously, so they're not... Some, yeah, some live off of uh, of uh, offerings. Other people have other ways of, you know, bringing cash in. Um, the Catholic Church is a tremendous landowner. Yeah, and uh, we'll also occasionally rent some of that property out. Um, let's go over to Brian in Florida. You're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, what's going on, fellas? Yeah. Um, no, I definitely think preachers should pay taxes. I mean, if you have a private jet, I don't care what you do, you should pay taxes. All right, now, I, I get that, and that is an annoying thing. But how many churches are that big? When you look at the massive amount of churches that are out there, how many of them are uh, a PTL club or a Jerry Falwell? I think that mega church type thing is where people worry about where the money is going. 
but you don't realize how many small, tiny churches that you pass in this country that do have food and blankets for the poor, that do help out people that have family problems or addiction problems. I mean, there are some sweet people working in the church business. You just forget it when you see the big guys. Um, Jeff, you're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, Ronnie, this is a subject kind of close to me. My, my dad's been a pastor for 30-some years of a very, very small church, and if our church had to pay the, the regular federal income tax, I'm telling you there's a lot of people in our neighborhood that wouldn't get, as you said, food, clothes, blankets, and, and even overseas people that we send money to. Um, it's just the, the little guys get lost in the, in the, in the pile, because of the big guys. And if you penalize the big guys, then you have to penalize the little guys. I just don't think it would work. Um, 866-RUN-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RUN-ZERO-FEZ. Here's Larry in Idaho. You're on a fez Good morning. Uh, my comment on taxing churches is churches should uh, not pay income tax, but they should pay the local millage tax, like for fire or police. Or don't call the police when they have a problem, or don't call the fire department when it catches on fire. All right, so you feel like uh, it's not so much the income they're being in, but after that they're using the the stuff of the communities. They need to involve themselves more. Um, let's go over to uh, Chuck in Chicago. You're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, what's going on, man? Hey, my 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 theory is that uh, any money that they spend on church, on on people, giving charity, blah blah blah, all that stuff should be non-taxable. But any money that the preacher himself keeps, it's his job. He should pay taxes. But I mean, even if he's making fifty grand a year, some of these guys are making a ton. But I mean, he, he, they should pay taxes. Well, I, I believe that they are paying yeah taxes on that. So that Do they? that yeah, that's already taken care of. I mean, hmm. it. I do have a problem if a guy's making a hundred, a hundred and fifty thousand a year, and the people that he's collecting money from are making twenty, twenty-five thousand. But who's the rubes and who's the carny there? I don't want to go around telling those fucking people. I mean, I can't imagine belonging to a church and seeing the guy living high, being involved, and then he's begging for money. But what the fuck do I know? That's like me telling a hooker not to give money to a pimp. What do I give a shit? I've you seen know? that in the church that I've grown up in, where the pastors there do quite well for themselves, have country club homes, uh, the house is actually, a house uh, allowance is part of the deal. It's like they're getting uh, like an athlete's contract with, you know, different perks and things. So, but, but your, your point, so what do they bring to the game? Uh, Why does that guy get paid so much money? I think it's to uh, tr uh, to attract a quality pastor, someone with some experience. What makes a quality pastor? Uh, it's if you've run a church before. If You're you missing the point. What what makes him the quality pastor? What makes a good one from a bad one? It's a combination of skills. If you have administration skills, I as guarantee well. you, it's his ability to you, to raise money, just like with every charity. These charities that you see, the breast cancer, blah, 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 there's tons of great fucking jobs there. And it's all based on the same thing. 
their ability to raise money. So that guy that you see that's making 150 probably raises a million. And that's why they want him or somebody who has that business. And that's what we become. And again, it's another one of those things that becomes all about money. Making, saving, investing money. Not about your ability to... Help the people that the charities for. Yeah, well, well I mean, you pass it on money. to people yeah. that, that can. Um, but you would be surprised in a lot of the charities that you give out money to uh, how much money is go into a administrative costs. All right, I'll, I'll give you a thing on that charity thing. I know a guy running this fucking angle, okay. and it is. He would go into the local cops and say, we're going to raise money... Um, and we want to use your name, and you don't have to do anything. We're going to give you $50,000. And they would be like, okay. and then you can do with that, do it, you know, use it for whatever reasons that you guys want to, whether you want to buy stuff with it, whether you want to use it for, you know, downed officers, families. And they would say, great. And then he would put together these shows, and he would raise 200000 and he would cut them a check for fifty thousand. And it's not bad. People, well, it was not bad except for the fact that you know <laughs> you're doing it with charity work. Now let me let's go over that. Is that ethical or unethical? That's it's it's unethical. What do you think? It's ethical. He said he's going to give fifty thousand dollars for the charity, and he's making it's it's a loophole, I guess, or it's just a scam. But it is ethical, I guess. Um, why is it unethical, Teal? Because you're raising so much more money on that charity's name than what you're actually giving them. But look on the other side of it. They said they would give you fifty thousand dollars for doing nothing. If you stop that business, that charity doesn't get the fifty thousand dollars. That's how people tend to look at it. These people weren't going to go out and raise $50,000 on their own. They got 50. They're cops. They don't know what the hell, you know what I mean, or how to go around and raise this, or else it would take a ton of their time. So that's the way the game would be played. Um, But I will tell you this. I never end up buying those fucking tickets to the oldie show um, that are going to the uh, um, cop thing. Um, Mark, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, buddies. Hey, Pepper. Search Amendment 8 in Florida is coming up on the next ballot. Basically states that it's going to take money from the public schools in Florida and give it to the uh, religious schools in Florida without any accountability or any tax keeping or anything on how they spend it. It's unbelievable. It's a crazy It's a crazy amendment. Well, that's kind of different than what we were talking for, and I have no time for that. I just don't get it. I mean, that whole voucher thing. Look, if you want to go to your private religious school, then that's got to be your deal. There's a public school for everybody, but the public school blows. Well, then get in and fix it. You know, then then we got a different problem. Um, uh, Bart, you're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, man, uh, used to be a Shriner, well, just got out, but like you were saying, how much goes to administrative? Like, we can raise money and do it great, and every penny goes to the $2 million a day to run the hospitals, but then these calling services if they get to our people that donate first they get off the top like 20 percent no matter what just for picking up the phone and then people don't give us money on the corner so these are kind of other charities that you're competing against 
No, it's like a one eight hundred service, or you know, uh, what do you call those? But do they work for the Shriners? No, they're like a third party group, and they go and say, "Hey, Shriners, you'll you know, we'll make all the phone calls and raise money for the circus, but we're getting twenty percent off the top." And then, yeah, there's tons of those kind of businesses out there that are only in that, and I, the people that I know, actually would promote the shows. So what they would do is go get some old rock and roll acts or who's ever calling themselves the coasters. And when you would get a call, particularly in a small town of the local police need your help with this thing, you'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. What are the tickets? A lot of people would buy tickets and never use them. Oh, shit. You know, so they would actually oversell these shows because they knew that the percentage of people would just be like, oh, I don't want to be seen as somebody who doesn't give money to the oh. local cops. <laughs> you know? It was really... Uh, like a genius, corny angle on this. Um, here is uh, Jason in Florida. You're on the Run Fed Show. Hey guys. Yeah. Um, you know these, these churches are a nonprofit, and I can only speak to mine. But you know we hold like we host AA meetings and NA meetings and. Open the gym for guys to come and play basketball, and you know, besides all the administrative costs, the overhead, there's a lot of overhead that has to be accounted for, right? So it's, you know, to pay taxes on top of that, I mean, you're really going to cut out quite a bit. We've got a preschool at our church, and it's, you know, it doesn't really cover all the costs, so it's subsidized by the main church, even though it's you know, the school is separate from the church. I get it a million percent. What do you say to this, Fez? Because you're a guy who thinks that they should be paying taxes. Well, I think what happens is that um, you have to, it's, you're being part of the community. All right, now I get it. that's part of taxed. And that's... <laughs> you got yeah, lost. But, yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're throwing a lot of things out there for the community to take advantage of already. And if we've got to pay taxes on top of that... I think the big problem people uh, people have is not a small church like yourself. I think that they get swayed by the giant churches, the kind of ones that you can see uh, when you're uh, traveling from far away and there's this, this giant tower. The ones on TV and You're like, shit. what is this? There was that... Uh, I guess it was... Um, I guess it's a Mormon church, Fez, that was down when you're on the Beltway around D.C. that has this oh, yeah. giant tower with yep. the trumpeters on top of it. And you're like, why does any church need to build something? I mean, I get the ones that were built in the 1800s, whatever, keep them up because they're historical. But do you really need to build fresh ones like that? <laughs> uh, is that what you're collecting your money Holy from? shit, that thing looks like a fucking castle. Yeah, it's it's, it's actually huge. even slightly frightening. Um, Fuck. Let's go over to um, Ezra in Harlem. You're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, buddies. Yeah. You know, this, this is a topic that uh, really is not a cut and dry thing because uh, I, my pastor, my church, we actually have quarterly meetings. We have actually a whole lot of membership meetings where there are uh, there's an account of where the money goes. And, and, and detailed um, spreadsheets, all of that, like, like, a, like a real business uh, that's explained to the, to the 
parishioners, where the money is going, how it's being spent, what came in, a real uh, matter of account. But, of course, then there are the, uh, the other kind of churches where, you know, you got private jets, guys driving a Bentley. Yeah, that's He's got weird. a summer and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a winter home. You know, so we, we can, we just can't say one law really kind of uh, uh, deals with it all. Yeah, if, maybe if there guy, should be like a tier system to it in some way, but uh, I think that it's really a mistake to say most of the churches are being run for profit because I just, yeah, I don't real. see it. All you have to do is look at most churches. All right, thanks, Ezra. Uh, I grew up Catholic, and 95% of the money that we would collect would go into two things, uh, candles and matches. And once we got that taken care of, uh, then there would be some other money for the... But we need a lot of candles. Uh, Steve, you're on the Run of Fez show. Steve. Hey, Ronnie, how you doing, bud? Good. Good. Yeah, there's a, there is a Mormon church in Massachusetts right on Route 3 in Arlington, Mass., and I, I don't think anybody's used it. And um, someone who was joking, saying it was just for, like, Mitt Romney to use, but even he doesn't use it. It's ridiculous. So, but Yeah, there yeah. are some gigantic places out there. Scientology has that place in Times Square I never see anyone go into. No. And it's I've got to be so damn expensive, but they want to have some Times Square property. they got to have a presence here. And maybe just for the uh, celebrities when they come in to get their fucking, only couple, though. To get Let's their Scientology honest. on. Look, I'm going to get my Scientology done as quickly as anyone. Let's all get clear. All together. I want to get my Thetans fucked up. Zap get those that fuckers done. out. Get a nice cleanse. My fucking neck must be filled with thetans today. Just killing me. You gotta hit up the fucking sauna where they cut all the thetans out. I'm one of the few people I like to drink in the sauna, and they say it might not be good for me, <laughs> but I do drink smoking it. <laughs> Soggy. Even, yeah. Even and sometimes I'll have a sandwich in there. Oh. And people are like, <laughs> "You're ruining." I don't know. I think I'm, I'm doing it perfectly. Um. I think I only got half of the films that she's done. Like the first half. I want to see the early part of her career. Like a pre-2010. Alright. What do we just go from this point up? Like that's the new joke? Like just give me our last few movies. Oh no. Because we don't even have her Oscar winner on here. Fighter. Was it on here? Because I just got from 2010 on. Oh. See, that's what I was looking for. Oh, I thought I gave that to you. I didn't get, yeah, I didn't get the first half. Oh. 21 Grams, Cake Eaters, Frozen River, The Fighter, Red State, Why Stop Now. Man, these are big films. It's fucking strong. And then look how many she's scheduled to do. <laughs> look at those. Yeah. Well, the next year, she's got like another nine, either pre-production, post-production, or filming. Red Hot. Now, you look like 
To me, Hicks, the laziest person in the world. Oh, I know I don't have any movies in pre-production, but you know, maybe I got to take some meetings. I'm not sure. Did you ever see Frozen River? No, actually, I never saw it. Ooh. That's a tough watch. <laughs> did you ever see Red State? Yeah, I did end up seeing Red State. This is a hell of a career. Fuck yeah. You know, Dana's Maymay is correct. You do say fuck a lot. What's Dana's Maymay know about me? That you say fuck a lot. That's all. She knows all she needs to know. Why she get off? Why does she get off my fucking back for one? Can you go a show? day without cursing? Oof. I might no, wanna, I can't. But I, I, I can try. Put together a show <laughs> first person to get catch you, and I'm only going to say. You know, sometimes what? it happens without I don't even realize no, I'm it. The same way. It just comes out. I said to someone the other day. I said, "You have a beautiful fucking baby right there." <laughs> That's a compliment. They should have fucking liked it. I liked it. Just liked it. See? Just try it a little bit, and then I'm going to put together a contest for you. Okay. I'll try not to curse. Is our guest ready for us? We got a Twitter uh, contest on this. Are we going to do that? It's for the movie. Yeah, that's where for the film. No. They don't play that game. About five, I'm being told. Five minuets? Yeah. Um... Don, you're on the Run of Face show. Yeah, on this um, charity fundraising, I think if it's uh, you're advertising as a fundraiser, I think a certain percentage of the money, and it should be announced when you're doing the fundraising to the people that's paying, that a certain percentage by law has to go to that fund, and then the rest they can they can vary. You know, if it's eighty percent has to go to there, then you can go. You can say you're giving ninety percent, or you're giving you know whatever. But you can't go below that certain amount. All right. Well, you don't have the exact things, but I appreciate it. Um, Logan, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, boys. Uh, <clears throat> I think you're all getting ready to bring your guest in, but uh, That's right. I want to go back to the church thing for a minute. Uh, you know, there are Bringing those into her time. <laughs> Just hold her. Mega- tell her to stand there and polish her Oscar until we're done. <laughs> <laughs> With Logan from Austin. Hey, it won't take me long. I promise. I promise. It's important, though. Um, it's uh, taking longer you know, already the, than I mean, expected. Because you're making it longer now. Yeah. You keep saying that. Uh, that's good. All right. You're interrupted. All right. So, uh, you know, you get those mega churches that Fez is talking about, and, and I understand the frustration because they do just steal uh, a lot of times. Not steal necessarily, but they just use the, the funds for whatever they want to and have those great BS houses and, 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 and cars and stuff, but... Yeah, you gotta. It's kind of stereotyping to say that they're all like that and want to lump them all together. What's that? And I agree. And um, and quite frankly, and I'm serious about this. Fuck anyone who gives uh, their money to rich people who don't give a shit about them. I see that as carnies and rubes. Fuck you. It's not my job to protect you from your Sunday church. You could be using that same money for fucking. To set up a nice Sunday football day for yourself. Exactly. Get some fucking beer and some nice spread, some food. Some of those people could be in nice seats. Oh, shit. Go to a live game. All right. This makes Watley look like an idiot. Does he have time for us, or is he uh, waiting for our guests? He's waiting. See if he can run in for one second. He's running Instead of fucking... So I can punch him. 
right, Fez, get over here because I'm going to punch you right in your dick. <laughs> Jim Ross has said the Jerry Lawler heart attack was real. JR said it. Not showbiz. He's in cardiac ICU in Montreal. Well, my friend will kick out. Believe. Well, of I course, do. JR is going to say that. He's part of the company. Because what is it going to take for you to believe it? He was just partners with the man. I have watched oh. wrestling all my life. Everything. All right, then I guess Kane was really burned as a child, no, and Paul Bear is his father. But, but you could tell that that was a storyline. This is something that happened outside of your storyline. No, and it again, didn't. It did. The man had a heart attack and was taken away off camera. A week ago, Jerry Lawler was attacked by CM Punk uh, you've, before you've the match started, and they said, oh, Jerry has suffered a chest injury. That was something that was said a week ago, specifically said a chest injury. Now he has a heart attack. Is JR still with the company? Yes. Do you think that he would risk the reputation of the company by saying, my friend... This heart attack was real, not showbiz. I mean, at a certain point, Fez, you need to drop this. It all falls into place. Oh, my God. And Come on. last night, I, I wondered about this, too, with Michael Cole. Now, Jerry it, it had just collapsed and was taken backstage. Michael Cole is on TV saying they're administering CPR. Now, they hadn't had time to alert any of the King's family, and he's saying this right out loud. Well, if you had I mean, if, a heart attack in here... I would say Fez is having a heart attack. I would not say, let's alert Fez's family. Matter of fact, I would never alert your family again after some of the things I've been through with them and the questions they ask. I'm serious. For now, with Fez's first heart attack, I got on the phone with everyone, and then finally I said, that's it. No more. I am not some fucking Kool-Aid drinking fucking swamp person that needs to go back and forth with this kind of lingo. <laughs> I don't want to fucking talk to a brother who's going to say to me, if anybody steals his belt buckle, I'll fucking... Just, just relax. Why Gordon. would anyone steal the... He thinks he's got a very valuable belt buckle that's a family heirloom. Um, it's because there's a hole in it where you can put the metal thing. It's pretty standard. Most of Fez's family uses <laughs> suspenders to hold up their britches. Oh, come on. You got to break out a belt every now and then. They're swamp people. Steve, you're on the run of Fez show. Twine. Steve, we got you, buddy? Hello? Yeah. Ronnie, I never thought I'd have to say this, but I always want Fez to talk more, but not today. He just needs to shut the fuck up. Uh, well, you know, I mean, in all honesty here, because Fez has stepped out, the wrestling people have done a lot to... Uh, Confuse him over the years. <laughs> They've told him a lot of half truths. There's <laughs> every lie every now and then. Ian, you're on the run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie B. If Fez ever has a heart attack, I hope you lock the doors, keep the EMTs out. Well, that's terrible. I don't know. I don't know if he could ever handle another one. Three or four in? Three? Three in? 
Three and a half? See, uh, that's what gets confusing. I think sometimes he says four. I don't know what they are. I thought maybe up to five at one point. He's got five stents. Oh, five stents. There you go. But not all of those stents are from heart attacks. I remember the last one, fucking, it was just like heavy stentage and not a heart attack. I know he gets a lot less well-wishers every single time, every single heart attack. The first one was like, we will do whatever we can. We'll fly doctors in. And people get bored with that very quickly. It's a lot of work. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of work, and who wants to care about things? And you'd be surprised, <laughs> like, how many people just like, did he get a tingling in his fingers? Does there, or does it ever seem like his lips are numb? I'm like, this is about you. Now you're just trying to see whether you're getting a heart attack. <laughs> He's not a lab rat, people. Um, Anthony, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, how you guys doing? Good, buddy. Uh, now, I just want to, are you familiar with the wrestling term kayfabe and keeping I am, kayfabe? I don't break kayfabe. That's my thing. Well, <laughs> exactly. And, uh, I, you I'm know, with it's it. very frowned upon to break kayfabe, especially on camera. And I just, I mean, and there was vomit everywhere. If you look at pictures and, vid- and fan videos. Mm. Pretty serious. Serious as a heart attack. You know what I mean? Literally. Literally in this case. <laughs> There's no convincing Fez, though. Not even Jr. Jim Ross. The fucking... The pardons of the man. For years, they were the fucking commentators. Oh, yeah. And remember when Jr. had Bell's palsy? Oh, yeah. And that took a long time. Let me tell you something. Stone Cold. You son of a bitch, you fired my ass before. <laughs> they was like fucking Dr. Death, Steve Williams, like fucking manager or some shit. Uh, Gordon... I'm going to go over to Gordon here on line two. As soon as I get Dana to take her thumb off of it. Here you go, Gordon. Hey, how's it going? Hey, buddy. Hey, man, I just I just turned the radio on, man, and I was out of service there for a while, but I heard everybody's kicking on Fez. What's the deal? <laughs> well, people got mad at Fez, I guess, wrestling fans um, are mad at Fez because he won't believe that Jerry Lawler's heart attack is real. And I guess this affected a lot of people last night. Yeah, no, I didn't see it. I was watching the ball game. That fucking... The Raiders' backup punt punter. How, yeah. did you, were you watching that shit? Yeah. You watching that fucking clusterfuck? Yeah, it was terrible. What the hell was going on? It doesn't seem like a real fucking football team. It It is pretty crazy. <laughs> now, um, did you watch the first game? Yeah. When are you guys going to start believing me about the Baltimore home field advantage? How badass they are. That was a fucking beatdown. And they've won like 17 out of 18 straight at home now. It's not an easy place to go into. I picked them to go to the Super Bowl this year. And fucking Chris Stanley laughed in my goddamn face. And called me Jew balls. (laughs) Ravens? That's Jew ball talk. I don't even get it. I uh, you know what I'm talking about. No, not at all. <laughs> Listen, not even slightly. I think the Panthers fucking got it though, because they, they any get... new stuff up on our boards today. Any more of the fighting going on like last night? I called Kathleen a grammar Nazi. Good. I'm glad that happened. Pips has uh, stunned our league. Yeah, beating Kathleen from the Bronx. Yeah, I saw him busting Mikey boys' fucking balls. Pips. Yeah. 
I know he hates Mikey Balls, Mikey Boy's guts. <laughs> Mikey Jew Balls Boy. <laughs> Fucking the the world's biggest Orioles fan for the last week and a half. Unbelievable. Oh man, this is getting ugly. I know this fucking this this fucking year is getting crazy. And me too. I need the same exact thing. Mm. 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 Wow. This has gotten very very ugly. I know. I'm reading the post right now. Um, All right, never mind that last message. That last message was a lie? I guess. What's going on with that? Or maybe it was just a quick a quick one, just like devoured it. Let me get one then, too. <laughs> All right, so we wanted to go over this uh, young lady's, this Oscar winner, the films she's done. Uh, 21 Grams, Cake Eaters, Frozen River, the fighter that she won the Oscar for, um, Why Stop Now, which was great, a nice junkie film out this year, and Francine, which is out now, and I believe Hicks is at the museum. Museum of uh, Modern, Modern Art. Art. It's at MoMA. From tomorrow through next Tuesday, the 18th. I should see that along with some stuff. Oh, yeah. um, and she did a spectacular bit on Louie this year where she wanted a little payment back after giving <laughs> up a BJ. Take care of mama there. Get it off. Uh, the fantastic Melissa Leo. becoming somewhat of a cliche to say, oh, I saw this film, Melissa Leo was unbelievable in it, but we're doing it again. Oops, sorry. How do you just keep nailing these roles one after another? I don't know. I don't have a lot else going on in my life, so <laughs> I just, you know, my commitment to my work has become my pride and joy. The... Um, <laughs> The the film, uh, Francine, it's out, uh, well, the Museum of Modern Art, which has got to be a crazy thing for you, right? It's really cool. They make a really beautiful opening for a film, and the film will actually play for the rest of the week um, over there at MoMA um, if people can't make it on Wednesday night. I think it's, I think that's remarkable. So you're going to do the whole opening there and everything? Yeah, we're going to have a, a opening premiere tomorrow, tomorrow in the evening. Well, it's great for you, but also great for these young filmmakers, I guess. that I don't know that they would need all that much help from me, Brian and Melanie. They're pretty remarkable husband and wife team that had a you know fair amount of documentary work behind them uh -huh. to begin with and made this foray boldly into a dramatic feature and i am i'm very proud to be a part of it with them there are uh shots in the film that are just like little nature shots the cinematography is just so beautiful and it it almost is like a drop where it takes you down almost every one of those transitions as you're trying to figure out your your character 
uh, Francine. But it's an amazing, amazing different kind of filmmaking that's taking place here. Yeah, the shots are, we didn't do any standard, you know, master, two shot, uh -huh. close up kind of filming as i say they come from documentary it was really humorous the first couple of times i would say well if you didn't get it that time that's okay we can do it again right, right? <laughs> you're not just capturing this so and and the way in which they see it and therefore the way you mm. view it the use of the medium of film is some of the most amazing i've ever been the yeah, been able to have a part of. Uh, a mood comes in very, very quickly and stays with us there. And even though it's about your character, it does seem like it's about a very big part of America now, doesn't it? That we've hit a place where it's, it's hard to see how to get up off your knees. You know? Yeah, that's really, really beautifully put. You've kind of stumped me there because that, that really is is something I know, not for the filmmakers, but for me, there's definitely a portrait of incarceration, incarceration in this country mm -hmm. and the aftermath of incarceration in this country and even broader and more universal than that sure. of, the, of the lonely desperation of, of so many people and somehow with, this, with Francine's specifics, it opens up a whole yeah. world of, of what is troubling to a lot of us nowadays. Yeah, and if there is no opportunity, if there is no kind of hope for the future, that's kind of an incarceration even when you're out. Exactly. You know? Even when you're out. And uh, to see what's happening with Small Town America and the reflection in this film is that the dreams are getting smaller all the time, aren't they? Oh, God, it's so beautiful. Yeah. It's really, really, really well seen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, your character, and again, what, what's so great about the film is that you never quite figure her out. As a viewer, you're left to, why does she do? But way more attracted to animals than she is uh, human beings. I think maybe she has an easier time yeah. with animals and I think that it has to do with human beings can place a certain amount of expectation on right. one another and in my imagination to be incarcerated there's some pretty strong definitions of who and what your value is mm -hmm. um, and on the outside world Francine trying to assess what is that and the animals want some kibble from her, right, and maybe it. a cuddle, and yeah. that's much more accessible and easier for her than the things that might seem simple in exchanges between human beings to begin with, and then invariably they seem to get complicated. Yeah. And the one person that you feel like she could make a connection with is the one that she's most of don't let yourself go there yeah uh it's a terrific film comes right off of another film that you did with jesse eisenberg which i just loved this year no oh. um where you uh played around with the drug angle a little bit which also plays in i think with small town america now yeah why stop now is very interesting you know i i think several years ago when i was asked to play a mom it seemed to me she was kind of a mom from the 50s, and I wasn't even born in the 50s, right, right? afterward. <laughs> but um, so this notion of that there could be, you know, 
heroin addicts even that are now the parents and sometimes even grandparents of children that's mm-hmm. that's the world we live in yeah. today um so so that the the story always had a uh, interesting angle on 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 looking at life and working with Jesse Eisenberg. I would go back again. I'd leave this interview and go Isn't back he again. Terrific! He's such a great guy. You know, I actually saw him do a high school play here in the city when he was still in high school, and he was already Jesse Eisenberg. It was like, who's this kid? He's just phenomenal, and whatever the thing that he has. Um, it almost seemed like he had it as a really young person. Yeah. Um, and is all, all one of those kids like yourself who will take a lot of chances and do different type of things. How, uh, how do you get to this kind of fearless place with your career? Because I see so many people in acting that would... I think they would be afraid to take most of the roles. Yeah, I can't I can't speak for others and how they do what they do. But for me acting began with a genesis that had nothing to do with final result, mm-hmm. which ends up being a gift to me as an actor because we should be much more involved in process than final result. As soon as an actor goes for a result, you get a bad performance. So even in the bigger picture of what my life will look like, my life as an actor, oh, will I get to be have my picture really big on posters? That's not... That, my, I've only grown into a world where maybe yeah. I want to see the poster before they put it up on Times Square. Um, you know, it yeah. just hasn't been a part of it. I've been able to lose myself in my characters completely and thoroughly, which I think is to a large degree an actor's job to go fearlessly to fulfill the role to help tell the filmmaker's story. Do you have doubts, though, going into this? Do you think to yourself, hey, am I the person that can unveil this? Am I the person that can can get there? Or do you feel like you're over your head sometimes? I won't say I haven't felt I was over my head, and then that becomes an extraordinary challenge. But I think it might surprise you what has felt over my head. Mm-hmm. Francine, not at all. Francine, I knew I could dig into her and me and come up with something that made us one that you would get Brian and Melanie's story. Um, Did two days with Denzel Washington on flight, which will open next month. And it was two days of me leading uh, him through a series of questions in which I repeat the same story again and again. I am a woman in a suit, very put together, and he basically says yes and no for a 12-page scene. I carry the rest of the dialogue. I was scared to death walking onto that set. And that I needed to be... Um, it's a, there's a thing we talk about in acting of status mm-hmm. and I needed to take high status to Denzel Washington. It's tough to do. <sighs> I won't say I wasn't scared. Yeah. Particularly when he's been there with his character and you're asked just to come in for a couple of days work, uh, hardest, hardest uh, gig in the, in the book. <laughs> and of course you don't want to let down Denzel Washington and everybody else in the company. 
Uh, that's got to be a it's, rough place. And you know what happens in the end? If you're getting le- led by somebody like Zemeckis, who knows his shots right. inside out and is there to support you as an actor, and you're working opposite Denzel, who is a consummate, amazing yeah. actor, every single take, wherever the camera was, gave me that scene, whatever dialogue exchanged or not exchanged between us, and that is exactly where I found the ground underneath me and could play with him. And it happened right there in front of the camera. Right that's where you found out it was going to happen well Denzel is one of those guys like when we go who's a movie star and who's an actor he's just both I mean he is a movie star but he is an actor he's a phenomenon uh, and I actually uh, talk to people who say that the, when Denzel walks through New York he can be Denzel or not he can walk by and nobody will see him or he can walk down the street and everybody will see him exactly. you know, he knows exactly when to turn it on you also did a piece this year that got everybody talking and that's with Louis I knew which, it was coming uh, yeah. well we're all big fans of his here and he comes in and uh, on this channel all the time with O&A and that piece was so phenomenal for people isn't it weird that something can happen that will be like that much time and get as much talk as as a film people are still you know friends and family that i say it i have never in all 30 years of working as an actor fighter oscar etc personally walking down the street the difference in response, people coming up to me, I too, I can pass through the supermarket yeah. like just another lady. Um, and there I am in store after store since the Louis episode aired and people coming up to me, never mistaking that I am that complicated woman you right. see in the show, knowing it was a performance and needing to congratulate me on it. I've never had anything like it. It uh, just amazing to me and working with him. Yeah. Oh man, what a delight. Scary, scared to walk into. Uh-huh. I was petrified to walk into that one. But it was working with him and grounding and getting Oh, I just needed to do what I do. Make it real with him. And that was the thing I think that shocked everybody is like there was so much untalked about reality that we've all lived on one side or the other of that scene. And of course, just the Obama was just the, <laughs> that will be classic with me. And somehow Obama takes responsibility for Louis's actions. Phenomenal. Uh and that's the thing I think, Melissa, that's just becoming so stunning about you is that it just keeps happening over and over that we feel like, oh, isn't this great? She got that role of a lifetime. But it seems like you're peppering these roles of a lifetime. They're really starting to stack up now. Well, I don't know what to say to that. I thank yeah. you so much. For me, it's simply my job. It is, I believe in my heart, what I was put on here on the earth to do and that I would get a chance to work with experienced, inexperienced, all kinds and sorts and shapes and people and things and uh, that that my work would continue to grow in its mm. variousness, in its breadth is um, more than a dream come true for me. But did you know that as a really young person? Did you feel to yourself, this is what I should be doing when you were a kid? I didn't even know what it was called. Yeah. You remember P- Peter Schumann. 
Claremont and the Bread and Puppet Theater. Uh-huh. And when I was three years old, I was in puppet workshops with with, with Peter Schumann down in the building that's now the Public Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he had gotten from a the city for a dollar a month or whatever, and I'd go and participate in their nativity and eventually in in in. Uh, disarmament rallies with them and and other things like that over the years and and that that then brought the pretend i had done at home with my mother brother neighbors dolls and 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 showed me that there was an audience that would watch the pretend that would make the pretend even better by believing the pretend and that's what hooked me into what i then learned was called acting and I haven't looked back. Never worked any kind of, or had any dreams for any, any kind of outside kind of job. Just always wanted to stay with acting. You know, I, I walked away uh, from a waitressing job. Um, it's uh, 30 years ago now, here in New York City. And I said, I'm an actor. This mm-hmm. is what I'm going to do. And I have only ever been employed as, as an actor. I've only ever pursued it. Do I want to direct? No, thank you. Too much respect for the job. Do I want to teach? No, I like acting. Mm-hmm. Do I teach? All the time. On the set, all the time. Anyone who listen. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm real happy just, just being an actor. And the research part of the the job, the way that you go in deep, I think that's probably just such a gigantic difference between what you do and what a lot of other people do. Well, a lot of the time I let my filmmaker do that research, mm-hmm. and I don't embellish their research and make some other movie, right? Right. Um, so, but And the willingness to dive in it, it's just my pleasure. I'm kind of uncomfortable being myself, and I'd love to put on somebody else's clothes and be told what to say and where to stand why they even put a piece of tape on the ground and say stand right there and relive this moment over (laughs) and over and over until we're done but that does take a lot for you to be able to you know we're talking about some of these filmmakers and the fact is the first time doing this kind of film and you've done so many and yet you still have to hand that power over to them and francine you still have to say this is your film and i'm going to come to work for you yeah, because otherwise you get, and it happened in earlier, you know, films that I was involved in, where I would see an actor get too much power mm-hmm. and veer the story off its course. And if a film needs to be one thing, it needs to be a single story, and then it works. It's got to work for everybody for it to work. Yeah, uh, and that's why we don't sit around and just talk about your performances, but. The amount of great films that you're in. And this one, uh, Francine, uh, is going to be playing here in New York. And then I guess the, the hope is to get it out to as many places. It's around. not just a hope, actually. It does seem like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll open tomorrow night there at MoMA. And then we have like a week playing at MoMA, so if you're Uh not able to make tomorrow night, there's more time in New York City to see it. And then they're going to do a slow spread to what probably will be art houses across the United States. And anybody listening in, go down to your local theater and ask the manager or the owner. They're usually quite available there in the Mm -hmm. lobby. When's Francine coming to town? And you'll help us, and we'll help you, and, and that'll help the film grow. It is the best thing, too, about independent film is... Even the kind of people who run those kind of theaters, that you know them with a way you don't know the big theater chain people. And uh, particularly, I've lived in some places that weren't on the coast and always have to know that theater. And it becomes this like lifeblood. 
yeah. uh, to the community. But this film, uh, I think people need to see now more than ever because we're at a point where we have to admit that we're at a low point here in America. And sometimes that needs to be reflected back to us. Um, That's why I do what I do is that ancient healing art drama is to see ourselves reflected so we can become better human beings. Thank you so much for being in here. Um, Melissa, best of luck to with you with everything that you're doing. I hope to see you next time through. Thank you. Bye Thank bye. you so much. What are they doing in heaven today? sin and sorrow are all done away. Peace is bound like the river they say. What are they doing right now? I'm thinking of friends whom I used to know Who lived and suffered in this world below But they're going up to heaven, but I want to know What are they doing then now? Oh, what are they doing in heaven today? But sin and sorrow are all done away. Peace is bound like the river, they say. But what are they doing there now? Uh, that was uh, the remarkable Melissa Leo, one of those... Um, just great, great actors working today. And people are already writing in, well, how do I see this film? We put the coming attractions up on the iBank. And just check out the trailer. It shit. is an independent film. Um, it's told differently than the kind of movies that you watch. There's a, a pacing to it. I think it's only 74 minutes. Wow. But there's this pacing of kind of quiet desperation through this. And... It, you feel like a voyeur watching her. Um, you feel like you're watching this desperate woman who's been through quite a lot. She's just amazing. And that thing on Louie, I'm so glad that she got it because everybody exploded that night. I was just talking to her about it when I was uh, walking her out. Um, she's whatever that thing is. She's this guy. Well, that film that she won the Oscar for uh, with the, Mark Wahlberg, The Fighter, Fighter she was phenomenal in that. Hey, shit. She killed it. And the people who played her many daughters, I think, <laughs> was some of the most realistic acting I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so coming soon is... Uh, Francine, that's up on the iBang if you want to go check out the trailer. We'll take a break here and come back and do some more of our show. It's the Ron Fest Show. Many's the time I've been mistaken And many times confused Yes, and I've often felt forsaken And certainly misused Oh, but I'm all 
don't expect to be bright and born vivant so far away from home so far away from home I don't know a soul who's not been battered I don't have a friend who feels at ease I don't know a dream that's not been shattered Or driven to its knees Oh, but it's alright It's alright For we lived so well so long Traveling on I wonder what's gone wrong I can't help it I wonder What's gone wrong And I dreamed I was dying I dreamed that my soul Rose unexpectedly Looking back down at me Fest show on 9-11-11 years after. Um, they want me to let you know that the snack is up today on the iBang. I find that completely tacky on such a day as that, but that's me. I'm old school. I also um, want to check in with our buddy Matt in Afghanistan who wrote to us today uh, oddly uh, he's over in Afghanistan. He says, oddly, being here has given me more peace with the date than I've ever had before. It gives me perspective on what I'm fighting for. Um, Matt's a great kid. Yeah. And also, 
in the middle of all this stuff. We should never forget about those dudes. Which I worry about in all of our infighting, Democrats, Republicans, all this shit that we do. That, that it's, They're not paying attention to that. Hearing from a lot of people, too. Uh, there are friends over the years hearing from Billy Staples today who uh, was with us in New York. Uh, I'll tell this story just one more time. <laughs> um, you couldn't get into... We were doing the night shift then, and you could not get into New York City... And Billy uh, hid on a uh, train to come back into the city. And on on an empty train, came back in. (laughs) So, um, there you have it. Uh, We'll get ready to shut this one down. Of course, Mikey D checked in with us today. Um... GVAC, so many people uh, from the past who we all uh, interacted with that day. And, you know, we we opened the show with trying to do that thing of remembering but not overdoing. And uh, it's constant. What is the snack today? Bigger is better. Really big breast? Large breast. That is the way that I'm going to celebrate then today. <laughs> that is the thing for me. Pips, how old were you when the... I was in high school, uh, sophomore year, so I think about 16. Yeah. It was weird because it was one of those things where no one really knew what was going on because my school didn't tell anyone. So only a few people knew. And I remember walking down the hallway, and these two kids were laughing, going, hey, one of the buildings got hit, blah, blah, blah. And they're going off walking by me, and I'm like, what are they talking about? Why are they so happy about it? Right. And finally, last period, my tech teacher said, screw the school. I'm turning the news on. You guys are going to see this. I want you to watch this. And we saw what happened, and we couldn't even believe it. So you didn't even know until like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, it was, it was horrible. Shit. I'd never heard of anybody who... Had that experience. Because no. <laughs> we pretty much... Didn't the parents come into the schools and take the kids out in New York? Well, this is the thing. In um, in high school, I got moved over to Jersey. Oh. So I was dealing with that. And it was weird because also at lunch, you would see some people crying and other people didn't know why. And no one would say anything. And it was just... It was such a bad way they handled it. Leaving everyone in the dark like that. That's bizarre. Um... I had never, I never, I, that's the first experience I've heard like that. Let's just not tell anyone. Let's keep it to ourselves and keep the kids doing math. How did, all right, so did the teachers know? Did, I mean, did fucking. Yeah, the teachers knew, and it, that's why my. How do you teach fucking <laughs> goddamn geometry? Fucking, but you know, this shit's fucking hit but the th- That's what came up when Fez was saying, don't say anything to the little teacher. <laughs> Let the kids that This is why some people panic. No matter what direction you go in, some people are going to disagree with what you did. Just like remember when Bush was uh, reading the book, yeah. some people were like, what a hero. He stayed stoic and didn't freak out the other kids. And other people were like, he uh, ignored the planes while he's sitting there reading a children's book which is no matter what he would have done (laughs) it would have looked wrong and that's the way most of the things went down no matter what direction you went as a matter of fact the new york times today just uh put up a piece 
kind of blaming his administration for getting that warning in August and not acting on it. And I started to read it, and I'm like, why am I? Nothing can change. Why am I? I don't want to point the finger of blame. The terrorists are to blame. I don't want to get political about Because other people are like, well, Clinton could have had him. You know, just, right. Can we pull together as Americans once? Just once? It's hard to pull together. Well, today both campaigns are pulling any negative ads. Seems like they should just pull all of them. Again, why? You know what I mean? It's, They're there. Is, They're going to yes. start replaying them. Yeah, what does that mean that you pull ads one day? This is classless. Yeah, yeah and then the next day you go back to, why can't you be a, who you were before? Just be yourself. And if you feel like you're doing something that's fucking negative, then, then don't do that. Um... Don't do it for one day, because that makes you more of a hypocrite, if anything. He's like a giant dick. Yeah. Live with it. Know who you are. Um, all right, we got to get ready to um, to wrap this one up. And I, and I do appreciate everybody who's calling in. And the, the fact that we had two really amazing guests today. Um, Izzy uh, Paskowitz... If you don't know him, please take the time to check this out. Surfershealing.org. And he has a book out called A Surfing Life. There's something about those dudes and the fact that he's taking these autistic kids up is amazing. Uh Bri is going to do it. We're going to try to wow. finally you know, bring down that veil. Um, and then also Melissa Leo, who quite honestly... Is one of the great actors that we're she's cool as shit. working today, um, and the stuff that you know she did up on Louie was just terrific as well. One of the great nights of TV ever. And I said it that night. I go, she's going to get an Emmy for this, and I still, you know, I hope that that happens. I probably should be pulling for uh, Louie to get an Emmy, but I'm sorry, that thing that they did together just uh, killed me. Um, all right, so again, I want to say thank you to so many people from our past who emailed uh, Fez and I. Um, for Fez and I, this was kind of a, a life-changing thing to be on in New York and on the air there in 9-11. We'll always remember uh, all the people, that all those first responders and all the people that we met who came into the city to help out. We talked about Johnny um, becoming that such a close friendship uh, that's lasted all this time. And I feel that way about all the people that we were working with. And it's just, um, it's just something that I get that young people aren't going to hold on to it as much. And they don't need to. But uh, for us, it's always going to live there. We're going to go out, as we always do, with a song that we played a lot. This was Black Girl's song. Uh, happened to be in a hit at the time, and it meant uh, quite a bit to us, and we used to end the show with it every night. Uh, take care, everybody, and we'll be thinking about everybody tonight.